0: start tonight moody wonderful atmospheric podcast with um, birds
1: Nice, nice. <laughs>
0: and a little nice tv movie music this is amanda and uh we're back for another made for tv mayhem show i'm here with my friends nate and dan and i guess we'll just go around and say hello to everybody hey dan what's up
2: uh by my own admission satan guides me i just wanted to start with that oh go i think
0: that's there. important do you know yeah. what so we always go off on tangents so let's start here Um, I just saw The Witch.
2: Oh, how was it?
0: It was good. I liked it. My husband did not so much, so that's another story. There is a lot of Satanism in that movie, right? Somebody I've met online has not seen the movie but knows all about a certain character in the movie, and they've hilariously run rampant with it on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And I almost don't want to say anything because I don't want to give too much away, but I've been talking about Satan all day.
2: Wow. So
0: (laughs) it's really interesting that you would bring it up right now, because I think Satan compels you to.
2: Satan, well, Satan's doing something to me. I got a lot of notes here, and they're all written in red. My blood. No, it's not my blood. I'd be passed out on the floor if it was my blood. I have a, I have a very There's nice red notes. pen. I've, I've, I've quite a few notes. I, I take notes, and they're all. I wrote them all in red because of the Satan angle, of one of <laughs> one of our a slight Satan angle. No, 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 more than slight of one or two of our segments and chunks of the evening.
0: Just one or two? Yeah, I mm. guess there is a lot of Satanism. So, well, of course, nobody knows what we're talking about yet, but we're going to be... <laughs> tonight is dedicated to Karen Black. woo And we're going to be talking about two of her TV movies. Um, you know, she I don't think she did a lot of television per se, but what she did was pretty impressive. Um, the two movies we're going to be talking about are Trilogy of Terror and the Strange Possession of Mrs. Oliver. And I think even if she hadn't made The Strange Possession, she pretty much would have cemented her good name in the TV movie world because it's a stellar performance or should I say performances from Miss black and it's an iconic film and it's not just iconic because it's got a little zoomy fetish doll. It's actually a pretty wonderful film through and through and she's great throughout. So we're going to be talking about her tonight and we're going to be talking about it with Dan and with Nate. Hey Nate, what's up?
3: Oh, not much. I'm just um, very excited to discuss uh, Karen black and, um, her made-for-TV movies, uh, well, movie because you guys, as you both already know, I'll probably only make it for the first one. Um, I still like you, Nate. I have the to af- of...
2: after the first movie. I have to sing Nate lullabies off, off, uh, off, <laughs> off microphone. It's well, lovely. Don't... But we don't keep. Them.
3: Oh yes, it's wonderful.
0: But does Satan compel you tonight, Nate?
3: You know he did, <laughs> but you know I told him, you know, like hold off just a little bit. You know, like you know, I just, I need to like focus
0: i'm podcasting
3: yeah he's waiting in the wings and you know tom finished oh speaking of satan so you met elvira yes how'd that go oh she was amazing was she um yeah uh i had my photo made with her and somebody made the classic comment of the four of us look great um, (laughs) i (laughs) have (laughs) to agree
0: i should be offended (laughs) by that maybe she's really nice yeah she seems really nice and she's beautiful
3: Oh, yes. She was just, she was super friendly. She stayed that whole weekend, even though some weird guy, I think, was kind of creeping her out because he was being very sketchy.
0: You know what? I have a feeling she might be used to that.
3: Yeah, I think so, too. So I think (laughs) they just knew how to handle it.
0: Yeah, I think that there's a point where you just get like, it's going to happen. It's like 1% of your life. So I guess you decide that it's okay. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah.
0: I'm just saying if anybody wants to stalk
3: me. Well, that's how I met you. But... <laughs> I that's think right. that's how I think that's
2: how I met you too. I
0: think it might Wait be. a minute, and we're all the best of friends. So, see, <laughs> got in your favor. <laughs> Weren't we going to recommend some X Files to Nate?
2: Yes, you
3: were supposed to recommend some episodes.
0: Yeah, I actually made a short list. I wasn't sure if Dan was going to do it, and I thought if we both did ten, that would be twenty, unless we crossed over. So I just and I randomly picked some based off my memory because I haven't watched. Except for the last season, which just aired, I haven't watched The X-Files in quite some time. So I have to do everything off memory. Mm-hmm. And there's some episodes that I was reading the synopsis, and I'm like, I know I should remember that, but I don't. Uh-huh. And I wanted to avoid, except for one recommendation, I wanted to avoid anything that really had to do with the story arc. Because that would mean sure. watching nine seasons. Um, I think their standalone episodes tend to be stronger anyway. And I picked a little more than five, but I'm just going to throw some titles out there with a very brief.
2: How, how many? Are we, how many did we pick?
0: We're supposed to pick ten total. Ten so total okay. Five between each of us. If you don't have any, we can do this again next week.
2: Oh no, no, I, no, I, I, just, I can I thought I was picking ten. Let let me you you go you do yours and okay. just give me a moment, I'll cut down what I have. I promise. I'm
0: just gonna regularly right I'm regularly. I'm just gonna randomly pick uh well so we already recommended home which I think is the one we both feel that you should sit down and watch. It's because it's crazy and it's very horror centric and it's, I think you're going to really like it. It's scary. It's a little campy. It's weird. It's one of their weirdest episodes. Um, my favorite episode is called beyond the sea. It's a first episode X-Files. It's actually the X-Files that made me love the show. It stars Brad Dourif and he is uh, on death row for killing someone, but he tells Fox that he can help, Fox and Scully find a serial killer uh, because he has some kind of connection to the killer. And at the same time, Scully's father dies. He has all these things to say to Scully that would be the only the things that her father would know. And they start this really weird relationship. It's amazing. It's I just saw that episode and I just knew forever I was going to love this show. Uh, Another one
3: Um, uh, before you uh, Who's Fox.
0: I'm sorry, David Duchovny. Is Fox oh, Mulder. I'm oh, sorry. Fox, okay.
3: Okay. Sorry. Oh, I get it.
0: Yeah, I need some context. I need to give context, <laughs> don't I? So Dana Scully is Anderson and Fox Mulder is David Duchovny. I don't know why they called him Fox. I always assumed they called him Fox so that they would get on Fox because then they would hear, you know, the Fox network would hear their title over and over again on the show.
2: I like that. I think that yeah, works. That was,
0: my, <laughs> that was my random theory behind <laughs> it because I don't know anybody named Fox, but anyway. Okay. So then an episode I'm going to recommend that is actually part of the story arc, but I think you might be able to watch it on its own. It's called One Breath. It's a second season episode. Mm. So Scully gets, you know, taken away. and In real life, Gillian Anderson was pregnant. So they kind of wrote a character out where she disappears. And and they brought in this guy to play, like, his new partner. But he might have all this stuff going on underneath and might be involved in all this covert activity. And then Scully returns in one breath, but she's in this coma state. I don't actually remember the story, to that episode, but the parts with Scully and the coma are really well done. She has these images of herself it's like she's watching herself and it's all metaphorical and it's really beautifully done. And I think it's got a really nice twist at the end. And so I would recommend that one. That might get you interested in the arc as a whole, maybe. I also would recommend Humbug, which is a pretty famous episode about a freak show. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, and they go to investigate. I can't even remember what the crime is, but there's all these freaks in it. And they used uh, Jim Roses in it. And the guy, Vincent Schiavelli, I think, uh, does a reference to basket case in it. He's got a basket case twin. And um, it's really fun. It's one of my favorites. And then kind of a random, well, I'll recommend two more. Uh, one's called The Fight Club. And okay. um, <laughs> I like that one because it's about these two twins that have like these superpowers. And it's kind of like Carrie times two with a little bit more bitchy dialogue and it's really fun. I think you might uh, actually uh, really like that one. And then the last one I'll recommend is snow King and um, snow King. And uh, I'm mostly recommending that cause Clayton Roner's in it.
2: Is that the ranking? Yeah. Oh, I'm
0: sorry. Oh, why did I write snow King? You're right. It's a ranking.
2: I don't know. You've been talking about yeah. Satan all day, man.
0: I know. I know. My brain is all full of you know, <laughs> fixes and all kinds of stuff and i'm mostly recommending that one just for clayton Rohner. i don't actually even really remember the story but he's really hot
2: it's a be- it's a really wonderful episode it's uh it's it's actually one of my favorites
0: oh and one more one more paper hearts cuz i keep talking about that mm-hmm. one and that's the one where um so this whole time Mulder thinks that his sister has been taken by aliens and then this guy comes out. He's been arrested and he's killed all these kids like in the area and he may or may not have killed Mulder's sister. And so everything that he'd been looking for for years and years and years is sort of hanging in the balance. And this guy is sort of giving him all these clues about whether or not he did it. And it's a really amazing episode. Awesome. That's more than five.
2: That's I I have six (laughs) also, but one of mine is a holiday episode. So you wait till Christmas to watch. Oh, okay.
0: Is that the one with that Asner?
2: Yes, yes, that'll be the last one I mentioned. So the first one I have is is actually one I mentioned last time. It's the host. I, I won't I won't give too much away about that one, but it's um it's it's pretty awesome. It's a great gross sort of monster episode. Um, then the next one is uh, called, and I'm gonna get the pronunciation wrong. It's Diane de Verletz, which mm-hmm. is written uh, co-written by James Wong, who did Final Destination, and I think. He did the he he and Glenn Morgan did I think they may have done the Black Christmas remake although yes. I'm not sure. Oh, which Nate loves
0: sorry. actually so
2: do you like that I do yeah oh okay all right yeah they ha- I I don't want to give away too much but it involves uh, Satanism and oh. and the PTA so I'll just leave it at that <laughs> and you th- it's
0: I think the PTA always involves Satanism I don't think they are giving
2: <laughs> anything away and it's that was a lot of fun uh, then the. Um, the next one I did is – actually, the next two are ones you should watch after you've watched maybe four or five of them. And you kind of know the main characters, Mulder and Scully. Uh, it's an episode called Bad Blood, and it's about – and I know you don't like vampires, but this isn't really – there is a vampire in it. But the structure of it is is a joy, and it's really funny and a lot of fun to watch. And then the next one is X Cops, which is basically oh. which is basically an episode of Cops, where Mulder and Scully happen to appear on it. And there's they're they're in um downtown Los Angeles and there's a werewolf on the loose. And it's all shot, you know, um, you know, cop style. Oh, and then I just picked one randomly from season eight. Late, late in the show. It's an episode called Roadrunners. And it's a it's a very weird episode about I don't want to ruin too much of it, but it's about a really weird town out in the desert. It's a really strange episode, and then the 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 bonus is at Christmas time. Watch how the ghosts stole Christmas. Basically, it's four people: David Duchovny, Gillian Anderson, Ed Asner, and Lily Tomlin. And it's really fantastic and scary and bloody and the best Christmas episode around. So those are those are my five plus one.
3: Hope you're taking notes, Nate.
2: Oh, well, I'm glad that we're recording.
3: <laughs> that way I can just come back and uh, nice. listen. Oh, and actually that leads me to a quick question. Do either of you re-listen to the episodes afterwards?
0: I know Dan does, Dan. Uh, the,
2: the epi- 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 our, our episodes? Oh, yes. I love to hear us. Oh, yes. Actually, I... <laughs> I I do what what I what I do is uh, and this is just p- pulling the, uh, the 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 curtain back for a moment. Both Amanda and I record the episodes. I listen. I will listen to my recording, which usually includes like five or ten minutes of Amanda and I chatting beforehand and a few minutes afterwards, just to sort of hear how it sounds. You know what? I will say my favorite episode that we've done so far might be our first Christmas episode when we talk about the Bradys and home for the holidays
3: yeah
0: yeah i think that's that's one of my favorites too Um, i thought that was
2: a lot lot of fun because amanda gets really belligerent near the end when it comes to philip and um and what's his name
0: well come on it's all about (laughs) philip
2: it's fun it's a lot of fun. i
3: love that episode too just i mean I, i think because i love the brady's so it was a lot of fun discussing that
0: well i will say it's partially fun and this is not anything to against dan but the fact that you made it through the whole episode was pretty cool too
3: yeah, I'm, that was one episode I made it through the whole th- – I can't believe I made it through the whole th- You've, made through You've made it through a
0: couple. You've made it through the first Craven. one, the West Craven one, and the, that first Christmas one that I can remember. So, you know, and those are probably my favorites. I guess because I like the round table.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yes.
0: You know, a little bit better. not, And that, I don't mean to say that to insult Dan, and I hope you don't take it that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? That sounds horrible. Oh, I only like it when Nate's around.
2: I could hear you could you could you could hear in one or two of the episodes what it's just us uh you you and I Amanda you could hear near the end you used to tell me I get annoyed at the end of the episodes. Or what is it? I, I forget. What and one of them, I, I thought I heard it when I listened to yeah, it. Like, I oh, know. I'm
0: sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. No, well, they, I... they go on forever. We did their Crawl Space episode is like three hours and th- those are 72 minutes movies. We talk longer than the movies would have run <laughs> if we watched them. <laughs> I
2: think, I think, I think some of it is like, for example, like a movie like Crawl Space. I don't know if anyone's ever going to talk about that. So I yeah. think we should talk about it a little extra. Whereas yeah. trilogy of terror, I'm not going to my, plot breakdown isn't going to be that lengthy you know it's like folks have seen it i think you know
0: right sure oh that's a great segue into
2: trilogy, trilogy of terror, terror.
0: <laughs> so let me go ahead i couldn't find an original promo but i did find this do i make you nervous actor
1: karen black a major star creates a television first
0: There's a golden chain wrapped around it to keep the spirit from making the doll come to life.
1: Face to face to face with the unbearable unknown trilogy of terror.
0: Take it away, Dan.
2: Ouch. The day is, what is it, March 4th, 1975. Correct. Dan Curtis Production, Mr. Dan Curtis of Dark Shadows and Night Stalker and such, and a lot of other gr- great things, presents us with three, and now I've lost the sheet of paper I wrote on my notes on, wait a minute, here it is, three, uh, an anthology film, Trilogy of Terror, uh, three stories, all starring Ms. Karen Black, Woo! and, woohoo, and all based on um, Richard Matheson, the great Richard Matheson um stories. Um Richard Matheson writes the uh writes the the um teleplay for the third um story, Amelia, um, but uh William Nolan writes the first two. Um and the first one is called Julie. Julie is basically the story, it's it's uh it's a college campus and there's a very, very do we still call people male chauvinists? Is that is – that, uh, her... Or
0: asshole or sleazebag or okay. douche <laughs> or, or just or a douche,
2: douche nozzle. <laughs> I like douche nozzle. There's a real douche nozzle named Chad sitting with his friend who I I don't know that he warrants a name. And Chad <laughs> – Douche nozzle too. <laughs> douche nozzle too. And Chad is looking at um, the gals, the, the co-eds going by and just like, Ugh, have you ever seen so many dogs in your life? And his friend says, uh, well, Chad, you're just spoiled. And Chad says, yeah, I guess I am or something like that. Then Karen Black walks by and she's very um, school marmy. She's sort of dressed like, almost like she's, you know, um, I don't know, taking care of the kids, you know, on the. Uh, it's very
0: spinstery.
2: Sort of like, a, like in Dodge City in Gunsmoke or something like that. She's taking care, of, you know, she's very spinstery. She's got the glasses on and everything. She walks by Chad and Chad is like. I want to know what she looks like out of that dress. And so he's in the class, and the class is apparently – it's a literature class. I would say American literature because they're discussing uh, modern – the start of the modern uh, era in literature with Fitzgerald and Hemingway and Faulkner. Chad basically kind of – he's got a huge collar on his shirt by the way um, <laughs> he uh, and he he's kind of very much like you know Miss uh, I forget what is her it's, her name is Julie it's Miss um, I don't know uh, I, yeah. I forget what her name is we just called her Julie hey uh, you wanna you wanna go out and see a movie or do something and she, at first she's like no no I don't and she's a little reticent that
0: scene in Sanctuary where Faulkner has his character Popeye rape the girl
2: I prefer Fitzgerald. He only
1: suggests violence. Faulkner was just telling it like it is. I guess some people enjoy violence. he perverted lives. And speaking of perversion, there's a wonderful old vampire pic playing down at the village drive-in this Friday. It's all in French with English subtitles. It's a real classic. How about going to see it with me? For reasons of cultural expansion.
2: Well, I thank you, Chad, but... You know, teachers aren't allowed to date students, or
3: didn't you know that?
1: So who will find out? My lips are sealed, I won't tell.
3: You have your pick of
0: all these lovely koas, Chad. Why would you want to date me?
1: Because I prefer maturity in a woman. All those others? They're just a bunch of kids.
0: Yeah, douche nozzle.
2: Go ahead. I, I'll just say real quick, I went to college for four years, and I never heard anyone referred to as a co-ed. And, oh, you
0: know uh, what? I think I do say that, but that's because I watch a lot of teen sex comedies.
2: You know what? Throughout <laughs> Blood through, throughout Blood Cult, they refer to the killings are all happening to co-eds, and I keep thinking, what's a co-ed? That's, are those really ladies they're ladies on on the campus yeah they call them coeds. i think it's like the coed ed murders or it says like in the opening scrawl but i
0: mean what you were you had to ask what it was or are you being
2: oh no i i i did not know what it was i i
0: look okay blood call came out in the 90s i'm thinking because i just watched it over the summer blood,
2: blood call a, <laughs> blood, wait a minute Blood Cult was 86. I'm sorry. We've gone on a tangent. I apologize. Yeah, I didn't
0: – I meant – I guess I saw it in the 90s. I'm sorry. The For the first oh, 85?
2: time. 85?
3: Yeah. I thought um, Blood Cult was like 84.
2: I th- I think it's 85.
0: No, because, I think you're right. It's okay. it's mid-80s. I think it's because 85.
2: It's like 85 oh, right. and then The Ripper is 86 and then Revenge is 87. They came out in like quick succession. I think yeah, I but I right.
0: saw Revenge – not Revenge. I didn't see Revenge so much later and I haven't, still haven't seen the whole thing. But um, <laughs> I saw Blood Cult – yeah, I saw Blood Cult in the very early 90s at a sleepover as an adult with a girl who didn't have any friends, and I didn't have any friends, and we thought it'd be really fun to hang out and watch horror movies. Oh, no. And so we got together, and I never saw her after that, but that's the movie we rented. Oh, uh, well,
2: <laughs> it's worth a viewing, everyone. You know, it's, you know what uh,
0: it, it is. It's a shot on video and, horror movie, if that's your th- thing.
2: And that's why we can discuss it here because, of, like I think I mentioned the last time, although Blood Cult isn't a movie made for TV, it's a movie made to be watched on yeah, TV. Yes. So, so there's there's uh, semantics coming into
0: that. So, anyways,
2: so Julie and Chad they go to the uh, they go to the drive-in and they go to see. um, It was funny because he says they're going to see a French movie, (laughs) and um, and it's great because I thought maybe they were going to see like a a Roland Jean 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 Roland film, you know, something hoity-toity. They're actually watching. A film, uh, the classic, I forget, it's 71 or 72, it's, uh, what is it, Les Stalkers de Nuit, which uh, translates to The Night Stalker in French.
0: Yes, starring Doreen McGavin. (laughs)
2: That's
0: the best I can do.
2: I don't do
0: accents, people.
2: Directed by Maxi. It's the Maxi <laughs> oh,
0: Yes. La Maxi.
2: And it, it is funny because in a film that is that is basically three serious anthologies, they are watching Night Stalker on the drive in theater. So it's which is, meta I don't which, think I it's, noticed it's that so it was yeah. viewing, actually. And what happens is Chad uh drugs Julie, takes her to a uh local motel where he checks in as uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jonathan Harker. Hello, Dracula. Oh, <laughs> <who is it? laughs> I did- catch that you got that um <laughs> and he basically lays her out on the bed and takes some naughty pictures of her and then uh-huh. um does things that um we don't talk about in television uh circa that with, time with co-eds. Uh, yes and exactly and so basically it becomes more or less uh he blackmails her with these photos to like you're gonna do everything i want you to do and she's mortified What oh,
1: didn't i tell you my hobby's photography You drugged me last night, didn't you? Why did you do something this sick? Well, I think they came out rather well, don't you? Oh, and you can keep these, because you see, I have the negatives. I'll call a police chief. No, you won't. First of all, you have no proof that I drugged you. I'll deny it and offer these photos as proof. Tell them you seduced me, that you've got a thing for your students. No. I'm sure you don't want the police or anyone else to see these.
2: One time I believed all people named Chad were good. Now I'm not so sure.
1: <laughs> I
0: actually knew a Chad and he was a really nice guy. Oh yeah, I,
2: I knew a Chad too. Um, I don't want to give away the ending. We'll probably, when we discuss the film well, afterwards, yeah. we can spoil it. But I don't want to give like, away the ending.
0: I feel like we should do each segment separately.
2: Okay, okay. So we'll do this. So what's going to happen here is I'm just going to take us up to a point. Stop. And sure. then we'll discuss. It just gets worse uh, for Julie to the point where um they're in class and he drops off a note on her desk in the middle of the class saying, it's, the note says more or less like, I've got a bunch of friends who'd like to meet you uh, after class kind of thing. Super sleazy. And it just sort of builds to the point where you're thinking, what is Julie going to do to get out of this? And then I'm going to draw the curtain on my plot description. And we can, okay. if we want to spoil it now from this point on, folks, for the first segment, be wary.
0: Yeah, I want to just since I want to talk about each one separately so that people listening don't kind of forget what we oh, discussed yes. since there's three very mm-hmm. distinctive films. I'm I'm really mixed about this one. So, you know, everybody always remembers the Zuni fetish doll segment, which we'll get to. And people don't really remember these, although I think as far as Karen Black's performances go, these two f- uh, segments are very strong,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, very strong. And she's wonderful in them, and I see why she was attracted to playing these parts. But I'm really at odds with what this episode, this segment means in mm-hmm. terms of the ending, because I don't know that making her lecherous in return or the instigator of what is essentially date rape is really very progressive or um, okay. Do you know what I mean? Uh so <laughs> yeah. so acting wise, I think it's really good twist wise I think it leaves me feeling a little uncomfortable and not in a way that I think they originally intended in the seventies, and that's not necessarily a slate against the film because it's very well done and it is a good twist, but I think sometimes when movies age, sensibilities change, mm. and it's hard to watch it in the and I try to watch everything like the way it was intended to be made but this one just kind of got to me. So if I could be a little spoilery, it turns out that she's got some crazy mind control game going on. She's basically like from the moment he saw her walking into the college, she was controlling his mind. So everything he did was out of his control. Yes. And it's,
2: it it's, her, it's it's, her, it's like the, the first like three lines he says are the only ones that are like his, his own.
0: Yes. Yes. And, and that, that kind of upsets me, you know, because it's like it's sort of putting all of the uh, responsibility on her shoulders,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he's basically raping her and and blackmailing her, and supposedly she's getting off on it, right? And and that's the part where I'm like, I don't know. This makes me feel really weird, and um and I don't care for it. But I mean, as a as just a little twenty minute whatever, I mean, I think it's a solid little um segment in a horror anthology. I just feel like the overall theme and the twist are a little distasteful. Mm-hmm. Uh Nate, did you have any thoughts about that?
3: Oh well the twist got me. I mean the first I mean when I originally watched it I didn't really see where that story was going. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so it did really take me by surprise. And it's interesting you brought that like your thoughts about it up because to be honest with you, I never really thought about it that way. I guess I just kinda thought of it as a Just they kind of just threw a twist in there that you wouldn't expect to to shock the viewer, but I guess yeah, when you actually try to start to think about it, I mean, it really does you know kind of make her the sleazy one. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um. In in all honesty, because like you said, I mean, it. I guess it would be. Well, I don't know if it'd be much different, but you know the the situation would be different if she wasn't actually controlling him. Like if he had like tried to manipulate her into all this, but she actually. You know, was was kind of lecherous herself, and it would be kind of like sleazy versus sleazy. But instead, you know, you spend the whole story thinking that he's this like douche nozzle and sleazy (laughs) and 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 everything. But then you kind of learn later that you know, for most of that story, she's been controlling him. So it kind of yeah. I mean, it's um, I don't know. I mean, I didn't really mind the story that much. I mean, of course, to me, I mean. you know, obviously, my favorite's gonna be the last one, but you know i I locked it well enough, but I, I think you make an interesting point and i can I can definitely see where you're coming from
0: um well, good, I'm glad
3: uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't
0: know what I you're like, no, she wanted it, and you just have to deal with it
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, yeah I'm not gonna say that either so.
0: <laughs> well, Dan, what do you think
2: the The first time I watched this, I remember just feeling so awful for her. As yes. it went along, and thinking like, "Oh my God, how on up until the last two or three minutes, there's nothing supernatural in any way, shape, or form about it, technically, that you can see. Right. It right. just seems to be about a real jerk taking advantage, uh, like a ridiculous advantage of a woman. Yes, <laughs> I just and that that bothered me. And there there was also that the the talk about like Faulkner and stuff like yes. that. I don't know if you if you guys have read much Faulkner. I I have. Um, well, Laudie
0: woo Woohoo!
2: And actually, I'm not a big Fitzgerald fan. I'm not a big Hemingway fan, but I do like Faulkner. The, the two novels he wrote before the one they mentioned, Sanctuary, are, are uh, The Sound and the Fury and As mm-hmm. I Lay Dying, which I think are two of the best American novels ever. They're absolutely, they're like fever dream, crazy reads. They're astounding neither of them sold that well so he wrote sanctuary and sanctuary is like um southern gothic soap opera it's filled with uh murder rape uh moonshine crazy relatives um innocent girls being put in the brothels uh and, lynching, yeah. lynching. <laughs> yeah it's 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 a and it's specifically written to rile people up that's why he wrote it and it's it's this crazy sort of novel. I'm still trying to figure out exactly why they're fully why they're discussed. They keep bringing up they they bring that up when they chat well,
0: because of the rape.
2: Yeah, yeah. They're, for,
0: they're foreshadowing what you think he's doing to her
2: when it gets to the end and the the twist is revealed. My my thought when I saw it was, oh, Karen Black gets to play a succubus. That's what I saw. Oh, okay. That's what I saw her as being. Now, now you know I. Um that's
0: probably correct actually.
2: It's and and when you when you go back and watch it a second time, well first off, I I found it goes much when you know what the ending is, it's somehow the whole segment speeds up because you you see when you know what's actually happening. It goes much quicker because the first time I watched it, it seemed like it went on for days and he was just <laughs> like being horrible to her for ages. But now when I watch it, it's like it goes much quicker. And that's that, that really is like he's just sitting there with his pal, Steve. I don't know what his pal's name is. Um, and he's just being a jerk for, for like I said, like three or four lines. Then instantly she walks by and it's like, boom, the spell kicks in and he's under her control until she, you know. Until she basically abandons him for she gets a new guy in her life at the end. And I don't know, yes. do we know who the new guy, right? Yes, before, it's Bell rings, And it's, who it's is Gregory
0: it? Harrison.
2: And he steps in and goes, excuse me, are you Randy Oaks? No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> he, but it's a young Gregory Harrison steps in and he's apparently going to be the next. Although he shows up to get tutored. Where cha- and,
0: and that bothers me too because he seems like... A really nice guy. Yeah. Right. He knocks on her door. He needs help with school. And she's like, I think we're going to be really good friends. And as much as I like the idea of thinking about being a really good friend with Gregory Harrison, <laughs> I don't like the idea of the method she's using.
2: I've actually, Amanda, friend. Amanda's actually written haikus about that. Yeah. She was <laughs> so There's so much flash fiction we...
0: about Gregory Harrison and me. <laughs> Just, yeah, it's, it's all, out there, guys.
2: It's fantastic. Um, but th- there there is something about like, I like the theory of if you're going to have a succubus, have the succubus take on guys who are real douche nozzles. Do that, but Gregory Harrison just wants to get tutored on literature, probably Faulkner or something. You know what? It's got got a lot of of uneven.
0: It's got a lot of uneven things because now that you say it that way. So first of all, succubus, I didn't even think of that. So thank you because I'm an idiot. I'm like getting up my gender soapbox, but like. It makes it worse because just because you're a jerk doesn't mean you're a rapist or a blackmailer. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And so I don't necessarily think that that also excuses it. Mm-hmm. That's my two cents.
2: I guess it's just like if, if you are a succubus, I'm putting myself in, in her shoes. If I if I was a succubus, I guess I'd, I'd try to pick guys who were jerks. Rather than guys who are really nice. Oh, sure. I mean, Gregory Harrison? Come on. Maybe um who's the guy from Kojak? What's the guy? The bald the guy. Not 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 Kojak himself. The other guy from Kojak, the younger guy. Oh, I forget his name.
0: Oh my god, the guy from Knott's Landing?
2: Kevin. Was he Dobs- Knot's no. Oh yeah, Ke- Kevin Kevin Dobson, yeah. No, no, yeah. no,
0: no, 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 Have you
2: seen him on Battle of the Network Stars? He's a little He's um
0: amazing. He's amazing. <laughs> I'm in love with Mackenzie on Knot's Landing. Uh uh-uh, uh, no.
2: Okay. I take back the last thirty seconds worth of things I've said. <laughs> no, but I, I, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know that Julie is the strongest segment. I almost want to say, um, it might work better on paper. We don't have to sort of see like, but you know, you know, she's kind of pretending. But see, like Karen Black's face when she sees the pictures and how she has to, right. and it's just. Although there is one moment when Chad goes into the class and. She asks a question about Fitzgerald, and Chad answers the question. As she's talking, she sits on the edge of her desk, and she has she's wearing oh, right. one of those dresses that's, like, slit all the way up the front. So she's sitting on the desk with her kind of right leg up on the desk, and the shot, like, it's like you can see her leg all the way up to, like, high, yeah, it's, it's high like thigh. A- thigh.
0: It's like a subtly sexy dress, right? Yes, yeah. Because it's not sexy at all, but then when you sit down because the slit in it is so revealing. And I have to say, Karen Black has amazing legs.
2: She does. They're amazing.
0: I don't know if you ever saw Killer Fish, but there's this really great just camera shot of her in like these little shorts. And she's sitting down and she just crosses her legs and the camera is like right where her legs are. So it's like almost like the biggest part of her body. And it takes (laughs) up the whole screen and they're just gorgeous, you know?
2: Yeah, well, when we get to the next tale, we can discuss more of, of Karen Black's uh, legs when she's playing <laughs> Therese. But okay. Um,
0: well, okay, so go on. I'm sorry.
2: Oh, um, I actually think that was all all about it. I had to say, Julie. I mean, it seems like clever little tale that possibly possibly might make itself a little unpleasant just from. You know the passing think, of time and such. yeah, I think
0: but that's all it is. I mean, I don't want to denigrate what it is because I actually, I actually really like it. Um mm. I do. I also think it is a little s- slow, but it's kind of fascinating. And I do think that he is the way you think he is through most of it. He's just enough of a jerk mm. that it's kind of compelling, and you do care about how she gets out of it. It's just that you're right with the passing of time. The twist sort of leaves me uncomfortable in a way that a horror film shouldn't leave me uncomfortable. Yeah. But that's really also my viewing of it as you like Nate's just like, no, I didn't see that coming. And I really enjoyed that part and blah, 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 you know, so I think you can watch it either way. And I don't think there's anything wrong with not thinking about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Certainly. That's part of the
2: fun that brings you back to it again and again. But
0: in some ways, and I'm not going to say this is the best segment, but in some ways I think in a way it's um, really underrated because there, I think of the three is probably the most you can talk about as far as themes.
2: Yes, probably. And,
0: yeah. and it makes it really fascinating.
2: Yeah, because as much as I love the Zuni fetish one, which will be on soon, there's really not a whole lot to I don't think discuss. I mean, you could talk about her mom and things like that, but um, but really, it's yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a few minutes.
0: Yeah. So, so do you want to go ahead and go to Millicent and Therese? Millicent Unless,
2: and Therese. Oh, just I'm real
0: sorry. quick, Nate. Do you have anything else you want to add? Oh no. Okay. No. Go for
2: it, Dan. Millicent and Therese begins with a uh, film projector playing, and you see uh, a young gal, I want to say eleven or twelve year old, long blonde hair, um, running across like a backyard, and you know, running to her dad, and her dad picks her up, and they're hugging, and then it cuts to Karen Black as the. If you thought she was <laughs> sort of spinstery as Julie, you should see her as Millicent. She yes. is, I don't, I don't even know what she's doing. She has like these glasses on that are just like distort her eyes. That's oh, amazing. She, and she's like, she, I don't know what they did to her lips, but they're like, there's no color in her lips. Yes. They're just like, her lips almost fade into the, her face. And it's just like, her teeth seem to be, I, I don't know what they, but she's like super, super repressed spinstery. And she's constantly writing in a book about her sister Therese. And apparently what's happened is their dad has just died. It's the day of dad's funeral. And Therese is out with one of her men. You know, Therese. And uh, (laughs) and a, a man shows up at the door. And possibly another Dan – well, definitely another Dan Courtesy reference. The man who shows up at the door looking for Therese probably tried to um, comfort her after the funeral because he mentions Therese was looking very distraught at the funeral. Um, The the actor is the gentleman who brought Barnabas Collins to life in Dark Shadows. Um, I forget the actor's name, but if you've seen Dark Shadows, you know that guy.
0: It's John Carlin.
2: Yes, he he spends like 50 or 60 episodes being sort of the Weasley um, guy who helps out Barnabas.
0: He's amazing. I'm so in love with John Carlin, and I I think he's still with us, and I would pretty much give anything to meet him because he was such a staple of television when I was growing up. And um, he usually plays a bad guy because he's got a quality to him in his performances, but he is so wonderful. He's wonderful in everything. I'm just a big fan of his, so and I'd forgotten he was in this. I remember George Gaines, who we'll get to, Yes. was in. He just passed away, but um, forgotten about George Carlin. So it was really a treat to see him there.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, he shows up and he he has a uh, uh, Millicent basically tells a story, uh, the story of Therese, and Therese. The way she tells the story is when Therese was 16, Therese seduced their father, <gasps> and then soon after that, yeah, soon after that the mother died of an overdose of sleeping pills or some kind of pills. Uh, we Millic- really
0: have a broken heart.
2: Yes, uh, a <laughs> of a broken heart. But but Millicent says that no Therese actually did it. Therese slept with dad and killed mom.
1: Ugh.
2: And and um, she's pretty, pretty sleazy. And he, he she does stuff like she says, my sister is evil. And she goes to a bookshelf and she's like, she says, by her own admission, Satan guides her. And she points to all these books of witchcraft and Satanism and all sorts of other stuff that are up on the wall uh, that are in the bookcase. That she says, my sister, you know, she reads all this stuff and she's crazy and she's evil. Uh, Mr. Carlin says, that's not his name. I forget the character's name. He says he kind of is... Um, Um, not completely believing Millicent um, because Millicent frankly is a bit hysterical but he leaves uh, uh, Millicent calls up uh, George Gaines who is just actually become commandant of the police academy where he has many (laughs) many medical he's not no no this is not. that's a
0: kinder um, trauma I don't want to talk about
1: that
2: (laughs) Um, uh, but George Gaines is the family doctor and Millicent says Therese is acting up Especially because of the dad die- just dying, I would think. That's what's doing it. Yeah. And so the doctor says, I'll be there the next day. And when he shows up, Therese answers the door. And unlike the spinstery Millicent, Therese has long blonde hair. And uh, she's got a little mini skirt. And she looks very nice. And she's very, I guess the word would be sensuous. And she wants to try to seduce George Gaines. Hey, who, who hasn't wanted that? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's it's funny because George Gaines' doctor character is very much like one gets the feeling that he knows something about what's going on and he right. doesn't want to he doesn't want to engage Therese in her um, you know, long leg crossing, patting on the leathery couch and saying, Come and sit with me.
0: You're really a very handsome man.
1: You just loosen up
2: a little? Oh, did that bother you?
1: Do I make you nervous, Doctor? I don't think we need to carry this in it, brother.
0: What's the matter, Doc?
1: You still a virgin? Or uh, is it that you just don't like girls? I'll call again soon. We don't need
0: you anymore, Ramsey.
1: Let's
0: just get the hell out of our
1: lives. Don't phone us and don't call on us. Well leave and don't ever come back here.
0: So, Nate, do you think Ramsey was a virgin or that he just didn't like girls?
3: Well, I don't really think I got a gay vibe off of her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you think he's a virgin?
3: Um, I don't even know if I'd say that. <laughs> Dan? I don't think I, I could can, say that.
2: I can't imagine George Gaines ever being a virgin. That's the thing. No. <laughs> You know, it's like it's like uh, you know, uh, the Virgin Mary uh, you know, uh conceived Jesus Christ and that and she remained a virgin. Somehow George Gaines was born into this world not being a virgin.
0: I don't know if I want to think about that on any deeper level than what you just said. Uh, <laughs> it upsets me. Um I
2: don't even remember what I was talking. Oh, um I think I think Therese is a little bipolar. Well
0: I think you know what uh, that's why I like that scene because she just flips on a coin and I sort of get it because he's obviously not going to, he understands the situation mm-hmm. and he's not going to play into her hands. No no matter how seductive she is or how willing she is to be with him for that moment, he's not going to do it. And so she, it upsets her, but I love the way she goes from like zero to 60. Yes. And, and there's a, and it's not just going from zero to 60, but she starts very like, come on Ramsey. And then she gets her dig in, you know, are you virgin? Mm -hmm. Or you maybe you just don't like girls, and then she flips. Yes. And it's such a well of all the of all the scenes in this segment, which is not one of it's probably my least favorite of the three. I feel like that scene is so amazing, just the way it flows. And with Karen Black,
2: her voice, her voice too. Just hearing the audio of it, it goes from this sort of sexy, sensuous voice to "Okay, Ramsey, get (laughs) out of here." (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to New York welcome to get up. um and so uh and what happens over the next few minutes is um terese to uh um...
0: he's snoring.
2: oh the, nate i didn't make you drift off there did i heard <laughs> a very deep different... no i'm listening
0: <laughs> something i'm like oh no we put him to sleep
3: okay um, so. no
2: and I, i'm trying to mute it
3: when it happens but um <laughs> it's time for my sinuses to oh, completely oh de- we get that annoying. too
2: it's That's okay. Yeah, spring is spring is almost nigh. So Yep. Yeah. Um uh, so uh Therese begins sort of enacting a strange um, rampage. She she te- just she tears up some of Millicent's things, she goes out and uh, attacks a, a child and like uh what does she do? Destroy the child's doll? I forget what she does to the, the child. Like, so. yes. And she's just awful. So Millicent decides that she's going to use Teresa's own Satanism voodoo witchcraft to kill her sister. And that's where I draw the curtain over my story. And now we can begin to discuss and spoil away.
0: Okay, why don't you go ahead, Dan, why don't you spoil it, since I'm always doing
2: that. Oh, okay, I'll spoil it here. What happens is uh, Millicent basically creates a voodoo doll. And she uses the voodoo doll to kill Therese. And Dr. George Gaines shows up the next day and finds Therese dead with a voodoo doll nearby. And when the paramedics come, George G- Dr. Gaines stops, leans in, and takes off Therese's uh, blonde wig to reveal Millicent. But it's not Millicent. It's Millicent Therese- her full name is Millicent Therese, whatever the last name of the family is. You learn you more or less, <laughs> yeah. And you learn you learn more or less right there at that last moment. Um, dun, dun, dun. Da, 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 Millicent Therese did do those horrible things, and because of those horrible things, she created a sp- a split personality came out, and so and and I don't. It's it's funny because. I don't know where the real Millicent Therese is because clearly Therese wearing the blonde <laughs> wig is not, is, is not the actual gal. Right. Whereas Millicent obviously is the super repressed one, isn't her either. She's somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Her, her, she like She has herself and then she develops a split personality. But the split personality is like to the left and the right of what I think right. is her actual personality.
0: I'm so glad you said that because I've never thought about that. Talk about taking too much out of the ending of the first one and nothing out of the ending <laughs> of this one. But that's really interesting because I'm so fascinated by dualism in people, in television. Maybe because I watch a lot of soaps and everybody has a freaking split personality. But sure. I think it's really fascinating what you said because who is Millicent Therese or Therese Millicent? It's Millicent Therese, right? And it's like yeah. that person no longer exists really, right? She can only exist as one or the other of the polar opposites. Yeah. And that's kind of fascinating. At the same time, I don't know. We could have a whole long conversation. I about mean, who yeah. slept with who? Did she sleep with her dad or did her dad do something to her?
2: That's true. Yeah, I mean, that, that, could, be, that could be part of it too. Yeah, it's, it's – it's, I mean, there's I, – I, I love the fact that she hates herself so much for what she did that she, one of the personalities does nothing but chastise the other personality for what was done. And the other personality becomes this heightened, semi version, yeah. version of it. And it's weird too because I wonder: in the opening film, the gal we see has long blonde hair. So, is the long blonde, the blonde wig that fake Therese wears, meant to be what Therese looked like back then? But did her? She is she dyeing her hair? Is she like dye her hair to look like Millicent, and then she wears the wig to look like Therese? Because, the, like I said, the little girl was blonde, so I I don't know. I just that that one. I don't know that I fully worked out that in my mind. I just thought of that.
0: We'll never know all the answers.
2: We we we'll never will. There's
0: only one person can well two people, and it's Millicent or Therese, and they're not here anymore.
2: They're not. They're not. <laughs> and George Gaines knew, and oh, and he just passed.
0: We yes, he did. Interview I interviewed with that. him.
2: Yes. Ah. Oh. We could have done an interview with him. But that's why I want to find discuss- John Garland. Oh, okay. Because like I said with George Gaines, we could discuss Punky Brewster, Police Academy <laughs> Five, and Trilogy of Terror.
0: Yeah, the trifecta, the oh, games trifecta. Gosh, that oh, dream is dead.
2: That would have been so. Oh.
0: It's gone. Okay, so Nate, thoughts?
3: Um. Well, to be honest, it's probably my <laughs> least favorite out of the three. Yeah. In Trilogy of Terror. I mean, I don't dislike it, but I kind of felt it dragged a bit for me. And I was having more fun listening to you both discuss it than I probably <laughs> was when I watched it, yeah, but that I mean it's not a bad story, but it's just when you put it up against um Amelia and even Julie, I just kind of felt it was lacking if if I'm being honest yeah. i I didn't think the twist was as i guess as surprising right as Julie. And it didn't have the just nonstop entertainment factor of Amelia.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would probably agree with you. It's my least favorite too, but I think it's interesting. I think of the three films and I'm just guessing Karen Black probably had the most fun doing this one because there's a lot, it's, there's a lot of acting going on for her. She,
2: she yeah. certainly looks like it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and like um, she's, she's completely um in, What's the word I want to use? She's a enmeshed in both characters. You know, she's like, mm-hmm. she really dives into the differences between the two. And they're clearly distinct personalities. And so I would feel like as an actress that that role in this film was probably her favorite. And I'm guessing. But um, and I can see why. But yeah, as a whole, as a finished product, it's it's just not the most gripping of the three.
2: I think it's I think it's very interesting, just not terribly gripping. Yeah, it is interesting. I agree
0: with you. It is interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she does (laughs) because, you know, it's interesting because she's she's a really beautiful woman, you know, and she's beautiful completely the way no other woman really ever was or has been or will be. She's totally unique in her beauty, which makes her really interesting. And she and she dives into these roles where she sort of becomes different people. And it's it's really interesting to see that, you know, her she can she can clearly change her looks on a dime, you know, Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of fun watching that aspect of it. I had That's another right. point, but I got lost in the vodka.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't had anything yet. I bet you're just okay. drinking water. Um, I think I think at the end of it, sort of the, the twist is kind of fairly obvious, I think.
1: Yes.
0: Um,
2: but I was but... going to talk
0: about her outfit.
2: Wh- whose outfit? Mil- Mil- Therese. Yes, please.
0: Yes, because I forgot. So, like, what I meant was she's really beautiful, but that outfit was hideous
2: yeah that's um the white platform shoes yeah Yeah.
0: which i would normally like on uh if they were a little different maybe and the orange like um polyester skirt that adds like an inch to your (laughs) hips and the little tank top and and the tights are like clearly not nude colored to her body color you know what i mean it's like three shades darker than karen black ever was Mm -hmm. and it's like wow yeah. And, you know, because I really like '70s fashion, but I think I like this hyper-stylized Charlie's Angels version of it, and not necessarily the "this is what a regular sexy person might want to wear." <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, and I applaud, I applaud George Gaines. I mean, if I were if I were her doctor, I might have sat down next to her, even though I knew so. She you was like the outfit? I think to bring it back, I do. I think Karen Black has lovely legs, mm-hmm. and I just think I would, um, as I'm a I leg guy, too. I'm a leg guy. So, um, so that would be. Um, so I would have gone, "Hey, how you doing, you crazy broad with the big blonde wig on? What's going on?"
0: Nate, you have any thoughts about that outfit?
2: I
3: think Therese has amazing fashion sense. <laughs> <laughs>
1: she's
3: she's just like in another world. I think with her, um, you know, wonderful uh, sense of fashion.
0: <laughs> it's too bad we didn't get to see her in more outfits because I'm sure that there was there was probably an orange top that originally went with that skirt. Oh, that
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Because, you know, I I like to wear vintage clothes, and I used to have more of them. Uh, But I bought this dress, and it was kind of that color. And it looked really pretty in the picture on eBay. But then when I got it, it was like this super thick fabric. And I forgot in the 70s the kind of fabrics that they made people wear that were Um, just really cruel, especially if you live somewhere like I did, like Vegas. (laughs) And, you know, they expected women to wear, like, not only tights, Hmm. but, like, these skirts that literally added an inch to your uh, measurements because they were, it was so thick. Mm-hmm. And so when the dress came, I was like, Oh really? I mean, uh, I might be able to wear it in a snowstorm and live inside it. <laughs> Cause nothing's penetrating it from the outside, but it's freaking hideous. And so when I saw that skirt, I remembered like how the fabrics were really unkind to women. Sometimes
2: I, uh, th- this is not fashion related, but so- one moment occurred to me and one moment in there where they try to, Okay, two moments. Okay, two things. Okay, I just thought of two things. All right. There's a moment – oh, crap. I forget when it is. There, there's a moment where you see Millicent where Therese runs into her bedroom and, like, jumps on the bed. And Millicent is doing some voiceover and it intercuts Millicent with Therese. Uh-huh. And for, like, about ten seconds, I believe it's trying to make you feel like there are two people there. Sure. It isn't just – and so so I thought, oh, that's that's an interesting moment. I, I forget exactly, but it's right near the end, right when she's about to do the voodoo. Right. I, have
0: a big, I have a big memory of it.
2: And um, the other thing is I am wondering if the little girl she talks to, Millicent talks to, is real or whether that little girl is just a figment of her imagination making Therese even worse than I don't she know. is.
3: It's interesting. If that's the case, then you've made this uh story much more interesting.
2: <laughs> I, I think j- just because if you think about it, it's like they never go outside of the house except for that one moment when she goes and talks to a little girl who's apparently playing right in front of their house and and this and Therese comes out and does whatever it is she this rotten thing she does to this little girl. And it was when the third time I watched it in the past, like, two weeks, I was sitting there going, I bet you that's fake. I bet you that's in Millicent's mind. She isn't even – there isn't even a little girl there. It's just something else she can put in her book to say how awful Therese is. Well, but when I, you
0: write your dissertation, I would very much like to read it.
2: You know, I'm going to do that. And, okay. yes, you will, be the, you will be the first to read it.
0: Great. Thank you. I Yay. appreciate it. Yay!
2: Okay, shall we move on to Amelia? Yeah, are
0: we, are we done with Millicent and Therese? I, I think so.
2: Are we? Good. They, you go. oh yes i'm excited for the next story we put
0: the last pin in their voodoo doll
2: oh here here we go <laughs> okay uh and I'll, I'll make this quick so we can get to the chatter on it but it's uh amelia is a young woman she uh lives in a big apartment building she uh we see her going home at the end of a long day of work with this huge uh, box under her arm uh she gets home and she unpacks the box and there is a grotesque sort of huge teeth it's a zuni fetish doll with like a sort of amulet, uh, gold amulet around its neck, and it's just this, this uh, wonderfully grotesque thing with this little spear. She talks to her mom on the phone because Friday night she uh, spends time with her mom. She actually just moved out. She was living with her mom. Yeah, she well, she's out. only
0: yeah. Um, she, maybe you are gonna say it. it's just temporary.
2: Yeah, it's temporary. She's in a place where she's just there for a little while. She's kind of you get the feeling she's trying to get away from her mom. Her mom might be a bit controlling.
3: I couldn't call earlier. I just got home.
0: mother mother it's about tonight i know we always spend friday night together but i thought no i feel all right it's not that mother i'm not sick mother there's a man his name is arthur breslow he's a teacher at city college it's his birthday and um well, I sort of promised him that oh, we spend the night uh the evening together uh, 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 evening oh boy what's going on there that's the movie
3: uh-oh. Uh-oh. i want
2: to see uh-oh um, and i do like the uh the street noise i don't think i i noticed that before all the, the car the horns beeping and stuff like that in the distance so so she she kind of gets in an argument with her mom she's she's talking to her mom about the zuni fetish doll and how it's supposed to have the spirit of a zuni warrior inside it and the uh sort of the 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 necklace thing is keeps the spirit inside and then her ma doesn't her mom hang up on her isn't she? She chat. No, her mod a just,
0: I can't remember, but it gets kind of heated.
2: Yeah, and her mom just and and the conversation is done with her mom, and she sets the doll down, and then she has a chat with Arthur Breslow. Is that his name? <laughs> I've forgotten now. The 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 guy at City College. That's right. Yeah. And that chat doesn't go so well either. And she ends up a few minutes later um, making up a like a steak or something for the oven, and she she showers and she's in a bathrobe. She discovers that the Zuni fetish doll is no longer on her coffee table, although the amulet uh, thingy is. Uh Uh-oh. And so she goes to look for the Zuni fetish. I think we all know where this is going.
1: That ball probably just burnt out.
2: Yeah. Yes. The, 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 doll has, the doll has come to life and it wants to kill her. And the last ten minutes or so of the film is a crazy ass chase throughout the um throughout the apartment. And there's there's not really much to discuss there unless we wanna, you know, sort of delineate what exactly happens, but that's sort of it becomes a crazy well, chase.
0: I will with tell this you weird this weird happen- little thing. And then this happens. Rinse and repeat.
2: (laughs) And it gets pretty crazy. So (laughs) Uh, it's, it's, it's a great time. Karen Black and, and Karen Black's in a bathrobe the whole time. So she She is. is. So, uh, so that's pretty awesome. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, what does everyone think of the Amelia segment? Of
0: well, True, True. can I can I tell you about the first time I saw this? Yes. Okay, it's um so it was like a Saturday afternoon. I was out playing and my um, parents asked me to come home for lunch. Like they did every Saturday and I did. And the way our house was set up was you would come in and there was like a living room that nobody used. And then there was like a dining area, which is where all the activity took place, but you have to go down this hallway. So I came in, I went past the living room down the hall and the way the the room was set up. When you come into the dining room, you actually can't see the television you can um, because it's facing, you know, opposite or whatever. So, All I could see when I came into the dining room was my parents sitting at the opposite ends of the dining table. They watched TV at the dining table for some reason and facing the TV and just transfixed by whatever they were watching. And I guess it had kind of just started and I came in and I came around and all of a sudden mayhem like broke out and this doll just starts chasing Karen Black across her apartment. And I had no idea what I was watching. I'm not even sure my parents even knew what they were watching. And then it has that ending, you know, where she calls her mom. She's got the fangs growing and she's crotched down on the ground with the knife. I had never seen anything like that. I was probably like seven or eight years old. I just came home for lunch, guys. <laughs> I just, I was going to have a Peter butter jelly sandwich. And I was going to go back out into the world and play kickball with my friends. And my life was changed forever. <laughs> And I had no idea what the movie was until like years later. So obviously I love it because it was probably one of the most traumatic experiences of my (laughs) child traumatic in a good way. You know what I mean? Where like, you discovered something that like you couldn't imagine you would walk in on that. And why my parents are watching it is beyond me because that really wasn't their stuff, Mm -hmm. but maybe they got caught up in the first two stories. And we're just kind of having a Saturday afternoon break with it. But, oh, my God, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And then years later, we had a local horror host in Vegas, which I think I already talked about. His name was Count Coolrider. And he was an Elvis impersonating vampire. <laughs> and he used to show Trilogy of Terror like once a year. And they used to show that segment without any commercial breaks.
3: Oh, nice.
0: Yeah, it was really fun. So I'm a big fan. Nate? Yeah.
3: Oh, I'm I'm a huge fan. so much so that my own film Voodoo Massacre and Voodoo Massacre 2 are based off of that segment and trilogy of terror
0: oh you want to tell us a little bit about Voodoo Massacre 1 and 2
3: yeah sure uh Voodoo Massacre (laughs) 1 I made when I was like 15 I think and it's just my family and the whole thing is about my let's see my great aunt picks up a um like a everybody calls them coconut monkeys because it's just like a, a it's a it's basically a coconut that's like a doll's carved out of but in my story that's a voodoo doll it's a voodoo fetish doll (laughs) and so they have a a a paper that has the magic words on it and then my story um, once they read the magic words it brings it to life and it brings it to life just at the same time that my grandmother's decided to have a family dinner and my whole family show up so the doll just starts killing all of them (laughs) off and it's about 15 minutes long but it's incredibly ridiculous but (laughs)
0: And then what happened in the sequel? I loved it.
3: In the sequel, um, my grandmother's back playing a different character (laughs) and she's (laughs) invited all her neighbors over to her house for um, a a dinner. And for entertainment, they've brought in the legendary psychic Jean Blossom. And (laughs) she brings the voodoo doll with her (laughs) and says that it's going to be her channel to the spirit world. And then of course, through a series of unfortunate events, the, voodoo dolls brought back to life and starts killing all those people off as well and the funny thing is that a lot of people from part one are in part two there's playing different characters because they died in part one
0: mm-hmm. but they're good actors so you buy them
2: it's your robert altman ensemble is what it is <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly I don't know, right
0: i don't know that i've seen voodoo two. Oh, you
2: should check it it's on I've youtube not. so i've seen yeah. i've seen one I saw it in Had, preparation for this, actually.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, I kind of actually forgot about it. Shannon mentioned it on Twitter, and I feel really bad because she she brought it up, and she said how much she loved it, and, like, nothing could compare to Voodoo Massacre. And <laughs> then I was like, oh, my God, I forgot about that. And then I meant to watch it, and I didn't get a chance. Did you know RuPaul did a trilogy of terror, too? No. Yeah, it's on YouTube. I don't remember being very good, but you can watch it. It's just a movie he made on his own, huh. like, with a home video camera, and I think he gets chased around the apartment with a, with a fetish doll. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, so so Nate, you and RuPaul. Oh,
3: uh, we have something in common.
0: Twinsies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where are you on YouTube so people can find it?
3: Oh, I think if you just search like Voodoo Massacre nineteen ninety seven, you'll find part one. So okay. I think that was the year. Yes. I think that was the year. I think it was made.
0: While well, you were and fifteen in then... ninety seven.
3: Actually, I was
2: 16. <laughs> oh, that makes it better.
3: Yeah, that makes it much better. Yeah, Because I, I turned 17 but uh, in 97, but this was before my birthday because I think we filmed it in the summer.
0: Good time. So I wonder, when you're making those movies when you were a teenager, were you, like, super serious about it?
3: oh yes like were i thought know? they were i thought they were dead serious like there's a special effect in part one where i make my mother's car blow up when she got into it and the way i did that effect is i just edited in an explosion i filmed off tv nice. so it's it's really unbelievably you know it's 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 the exact opposite of realistic um it's it's, it's that bad but you're
0: like at your family i need you to block this scene correctly <laughs>
3: I think I might have yelled a lot cause I think my mom uh, said something. Uh, there was one movie I did, and I think at one point you can actually hear in the background my mom say something like, I told Nathan he better stop yelling. Oh.
1: <laughs>
2: oh. I got in trouble. Oh. But I was a director. They were I good had sucks. to yell.
1: They
3: were
2: good
0: did, did you <laughs> have a little whip in Jodhpur's?
2: I was going to say, yeah, you, <laughs> of course. As you did the German accent.
3: <laughs> oh, I'm awful with accents. <laughs> um, I'm terrible. No, so... you can't be
0: worse than I am. Did you just hear my Darren McGavin whatever atrocity? Darren, I just heard?
2: Darren McGavin.
0: Da- Darren, Darren,
2: Darren McGavin. Oh, <laughs> well, Amanda, you, you could be right about the accents. Yours might be the worst.
1: Yeah,
0: I actually have the absolute worst. I never do them because they're horrible. My own voice is horrible, so imagine that with an Go accent on. on top of it—it's <laughs> twice as bad. But anyway, so do you remember the first time you saw this, Nate?
3: I would imagine it was was in the late 80s, because I know I was young when I I saw it. The image of Karen Black at the end of this segment, like, crouched on the floor with that knife with those teeth, like, was burned into my brain. So, for a long time, I I didn't know the name of the movie or anything, but I always remembered that. And, you know, I finally did uh, get to watch it again, which... I mean, I absolutely love the segment. I think it's a lot of fun. And, you know, with everything that she goes through in that segment, what bothers me the most is when she's trying to grab that little knife.
0: Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I hate yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, that's that's so painful. It's upsetting whenever anybody in a movie tries to grab a knife out of someone's hand and it's cutting their hand while they're doing it. Or that scene in Mother's Day, do you remember where they're hoisting the girl with the rope?
3: Oh, when it <laughs> cuts through her hands. Oh, oh. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. just, it's so, hard. everything that happens in Mother's Day, and that's the part that really makes, well, actually a lot of that movie makes me squirm, but that scene in particular really gets to me.
3: Well, I think the gore effects looked very realistic she when she skills. opened her hands and oh. they were just sliced through. Well, yes. getting,
0: like, freaked out just thinking about it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I always got freaked out thinking about, you know, which we kind of know, you know, in the sequel, what ended up happening with Amelia and her mother, but... Before that sequel had come out in the early 90s, like, I I just kind of wondered, you know, like, I can't imagine when her mom showed up, like, mm-hmm. that nightmare that she just yeah. walked into.
0: But it's okay, because she's a bitch.
3: Well, yeah, she was, she was mean, so, you know.
0: <laughs> so she deserved it. You know, when I watched it, like, as an adult, that com- phone conversation with her mom, it goes on forever. Forever. And it's like, I get it. She's horrible. And, a, and, a, lot, and you know, a lot
2: of it is, is one long take and because the, there's a moment yes. where Karen Black stumbles over a line about halfway through it, but she just keeps going.
0: Yeah, it's it's a lot. I mean, I I think it's good. I don't mind it. But, like, I didn't realize how long. It's a lot of buildup. Like, I, I feel like I thought the monster, the doll, was in it more than he is.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, she does a lot it really, of it
0: on the apartment. Yeah.
2: It really is the last 10 minutes or so. Is, yeah. Not quite that.
0: Yeah. I was really surprised by that. I do have to say, I don't even know if I should be making this confession on a podcast, and I guess I Uh-oh. can edit it out. But you know when he comes out of the tub and his hair's all wet?
2: Yeah.
3: I Uh-oh. like it. <laughs> I think the Zuni doll's very adorable.
1: He is. Yes, he
0: is. And his
3: little screams, it's really cute. I mean, okay. if he wasn't trying to kill me, it'd be very cute. Thank yeah. you for
0: saving me on that one. But my I, favorite I no part problem. is when he comes out of the water and his hair is all slicked back.
3: <laughs> I have a Zuni doll.
0: Yeah, I do too. I do too.
3: Yeah, I have one. Not. Oh, I have a long blonde wig. Oh. Oh, okay,
0: that's okay. oh, <laughs> that, that that's sort of like having a doll. Do, do you
3: have a Therese
2: outfit, Amanda, that <laughs> you wear?
0: <laughs> I don't, but I bet Dan does.
2: Dan. You know what? I don't. My wife might. <laughs> I could ask her. You could have lied there. You could have lied. I could have lied. I couldn't do it. I can't lie to our podcast audience. Not not knowingly can I lie.
3: That's, that's good. Okay.
2: You know, I just thought of something you had
3: mentioned, like her long conversation with her mother, who sounds like a horrible person. <laughs> and we just finished talking about Mother's Day. And it's kind of funny because it's very coincidental oh. that one, the Abby in Mother's Day, oh, like oh, her yeah. mom is awful.
0: It's horrible. Horrible. Yes.
3: And she is, and- is terrible.
0: It's kind of interesting the way that movie ends, too, because she's fantasizing about killing her mom when she's killing
3: Which, I mean, not to get off on a tangent, but that is kind of what we do sometimes. But I watched it with a friend of mine, and I guess on that day was not really one of her more intelligent days and when at the end of mother's day when she's doing that she she goes oh my gosh i know the twist that's her mom and i'm like no that's <laughs> not her mother <laughs> <laughs> like her mom was in bed at the very beginning of the movie like she wouldn't recognize this her mother
0: her mom wasn't like up backwoods to like rape her friend and <laughs> yeah.
3: I'm like, you just did not get it.
0: Yeah, this, isn't, this isn't quite as funny, but I remember years and years ago, I was hanging out with a really good friend of mine and we were watching Friday the 13th part two and he had some friends of his over. And at the very end of the movie when they put Ginny in the ambulance and they drive off, you know, they're actually driving in the midst of driving and the ambulance guy in the back, the EMT, he puts his hand out and he grabs the door and he closes it. And somebody, one of the three friends that came to watch it with us that I didn't know and haven't seen since they said, oh, and EMT would never start driving away with the door open. And I was like, really, out of everything that happened in this- <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, yeah. just so unrealistic.
0: <laughs> just that part though. I mean the rest of it was like watching. Oh yeah. The rest yeah. is
3: totally real. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. The end happened. of
2: yeah, the end of Friday the thirteenth part two when he comes through the window and then it cuts to the ambulance stuff. Oh, that all makes so much sense. I can <laughs> see how you <he> would,
1: <laughs> it?
0: would I, let
2: that ride. <laughs>
0: I, I, when you're watching a Friday the thirteenth, you really can't be like, ugh, that would never happen because none of it would ever happen.
3: The whole timeline would never happen. I I mean, Jason's an adult in part
2: two.
0: Every day it's a Friday the thirteenth. Like they in the third one, right? Don't they drive by?
2: Yeah, like the, the third second... one should
3: be Saturday the 13th,
2: the fourth. Yeah, the, well, what? It, yeah, it's something like yeah, like the the th- no, it's because that couple that couple yeah. the the store they're wife. they're they're killed Saturday night. Then the th- part three killings take place on Sunday night. But it's supposed and, to be the, uh,
0: beginning of the weekend, so that doesn't even make sense because aren't they going on a weekend trip?
2: It, it it Exactly, but maybe they're going on Sunday. I don't know what their work schedule is. Yeah, maybe for them of- the weekend is Sunday-Monday. I don't know. Somebody
0: should try to plot out these movies. But, then, the-
2: but then part four technically would be – because part three ends right. it on it a ends Monday starts. morning. It ends it Monday morning. End. And part four begins Monday evening. And then the guy from Police Academy gets his throat slit. And then nice. the next one takes place Tuesday. So it's like the Friday the 13th go from like Thursday the 12th to Tuesday the 13th, 14th, 15th, 17th. Yeah, Those we're already th-
0: like into getting into the next month already. I yeah. Know? It's like just so if I can name drop, I helped oh, Axel boy. at the bookstore I worked at. I don't actually know the actor's name. And <sighs> I actually helped the other guy in Friday the 13th, part four. This is he's killing me. He's killing me. Oh, that guy. <laughs> Yeah, that was really exciting for me, by the way. I don't know his name, though. I hate Did you,
2: you ask him to say that? Would you just say No, it
0: was like just like, giddy. I never bothered people at the bookstore unless it was Brad Dourif. He's the only person that I can remember coming in the store where I actually said, hey, you're Brad Dourif, and I love you. <laughs> but if I helped somebody who was famous, I usually just didn't
3: acknowledge it. Yeah, but I love your story about when you met Jeanetta Arnett from Classroom oh, Massacre.
0: You know what, though? I didn't approach her at first. I was actually not in the store, and she came in to buy something. And my friend Candy came up to her and she said, hey, my friend Amanda loves Class Reunion Massacre. And she's like, really? And <laughs> and she came back. She was like a regular at our store. And she came back and, and she did almost that whole part about like I was married then divorced Divorce. and I got married again and now I'm just having fun. fun. She, did, she did that almost verbatim <laughs> for me in the store.
3: Oh, oh, that's an awesome that's story. Awesome. Like I that movie is so mysterious to yeah. me, like, cause you don't really know anything about it. Like I would love to hear more like behind the scenes stories from yeah, she the set of that film. Say a
0: lot. She did say that the catering was horrible. She said it was like a paper knife and some peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she I don't think she didn't enjoy it. But I think it was a real bare bones kind of thing. And she was just starting, you know, like everybody else. Uh, yeah. But that, I don't I don't really remember her saying much else about it. I think she was just kind of, ex- she was famous, obviously, because she'd been in Head of the Class.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then she did Boys Don't Cry, like, right afterwards. So she was, she was famous and well-established as an actress. But I think she was kind of amused by people recognizing her for things. Like, she was in a threes yeah. company and things like that. And I think when people would say that to her, I think she kind of got a kick out of it. Yeah, you know, that they remembered her
2: the The scenes in that movie That's where cool. the camera is just going down the street and that really thick synthesizer music is playing, yeah. and you you see the guy pouring the red stuff onto the 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 latex yeah, stuff. Yeah. Making, oh gosh, I love that. Love that. It's movie. a good
0: movie. Yeah, it's a really good movie. And she's she, but it's just funny that she remembered it so well yeah. because <laughs> at that point she had I think she actually told me she never met anybody who she knew who saw that movie. Wow.
2: And Whoa. I think Candy
0: had told her, oh, my God, Amanda's shown it to me, like, a thousand times. Because I used to make my <laughs> friend Candy watch everything over and over again. And movies she would never watch. Like, we watched All A Good Night, like, every night for, like, a month. Oh,
1: I was,
0: no. like, When we get home, we're watching All A Good Night. And she would just start laughing at the beginning when the girl falls off the stairs because it's so horribly shot. Yeah. And... She would just, and she would just laugh through the whole film. Sorority,
2: sorority, sorority.
3: I think it's just odd to think about these girls running around yelling sorority. sorority. <laughs> well, just the way
0: she falls. You can't even really tell how she's falling and then she's dead, you know?
3: Yeah.
0: And, then, and then it's just a lot of nonsense. But anyway, not to get off topic, but mm. um, so I, I help some people. Never I, I, Oh, so I guess this, this does segue into real quickly. So I actually worked on a movie with Karen Black. Oh. Um. Yeah, and I meant to say that at the beginning, and um, I can't remember the name of it actually. Uh, when I was working on it, it was called Five Felons. I think it's now called Charades. And if you look up Karen Black and any of her co-stars, which would be Jack Scalia and I'm forgetting all of the actors' names. The girl from Under Siege is in it. Mm-hmm. Eric Culleniac. Okay. Uh, C. Thomas Howell, John Russo, not John Russo. What is that guy's name? He was the rapist in Um Extremities. His last name is Russo. I can't remember his first uh-huh. name. He's in it. And the guy who played, oh, my God, he's so good-looking. He's in Zombie High, and he was on Melrose Place. He got Joe pregnant, and she killed him. Do you remember the character I'm talking about? James Wilder's in it.
2: James and, Russo um, is, the, uh, James is, Russo the, is the extremities guy. Yeah,
0: yeah. hes in, I didn't meet him, but I worked with everybody else. James Wilder was dating Christy Alley at the time. And I used to have to go get him out of his – they didn't have trailers, but they had dressing rooms. And I used to have to go fetch him for scenes. And he was always on the cell phone, you know, talking to her. And I didn't realize that's who he was talking to. They were, like, inseparable when they were making the movie. So when he wasn't near her physically, he was on the phone with her. Mm. And um, But I didn't find that out until months later that's who he was talking to. But anyway, so Karen Black's husband directed it. Uh, I think his last name was Eckleberry. And I was a production assistant and I got the job because the location manager knew me and he thought I would enjoy working with Karen Black. And That's it was nice. a, it was a mixed bag. I have to admit, um, mm-hmm. I kind of hate saying that now that she's not with us and so many people love her. But it was, it could be really difficult. She wasn't horrible. It was just a really difficult shoot. Uh, I did read lines with her. She actually had me help her study for a scene and she used to call my house. Cause I was, I babysat her daughter for like a week of shooting because she didn't have a babysitter. And I love that because I was working on that film and at the bookstore I worked at. So I was sleeping like three hours a night, (laughs) getting up, driving an hour to the set, coming back and then working till midnight or one at my other job. Mm -hmm. And it was a really complicated month or two months, however long it took to shoot it. And so she would call my house to like, make sure I was showing up at her house and not the set or whatever. And I used to call my friend Cameron and play the messages back. (laughs) Because he loved her so much, nice. and we'd be like, just call me." And she had a really, really sweet daughter. And her daughter was great because she was um, sick. I think that's why I was babysitting her. Maybe she wasn't in school or something. I can't remember. And um, and she would just be like, "Put on a Disney movie," and then I would sleep for like an hour. And she would like watch the Disney movie. A lot of crazy stuff happened during the shoot. It was a it was real mayhem. And they didn't have any money when they made it. And they sent me to Starbucks like for like a week straight to pick up like 60 drinks wow. and this ran out of money. I would have to come back with like, I think one time the check bounced, like I had to write a check because their credit card bounced uh-huh. and then they didn't give me money. And then my check bounced. Oh
2: wow.
0: Yeah. Like a lot of stuff happened while I was making, it was like a horrible experience and I never wanted to work at movies again. And, and subsequently, <laughs> so I worked on movies, but I've worked in the um, post-production Uh And really easy stuff. Like I worked on the Nightmare Never Ends documentary uh, about Freddy Krueger, but I just did like transcription. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I did some research on the first Freddy the 13th documentary. His name is Jason. Yeah, your
3: name's in the credits.
0: Yeah, my name's in the credits for both of those. And um, I just did some research to help my friend Dan on that. I didn't really do much in that movie. That kind of stuff's fun. But actually working on a movie, I absolutely hated it.
2: Yeah, the, the t- oh, I was gonna say yeah. The the times I've uh, I've actually been on movie sets and stuff, it's kind of driven me up the wall a little bit. Just uh,
0: yeah, it's
1: tough.
2: So. It's
3: well, the tough. movie I made drove me crazy.
0: <laughs> oh, that's right. That.
3: Oh
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Experience actually doing it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we made a bare bones movie for like I think it was about four thousand is all we had. And we just shot it in a storage unit with a crazy Easter rabbit hacking up people.
0: Yeah, it's called the night before Easter, and it's on YouTube, right?
3: Yeah, it's on YouTube for free.
0: So how much how much Starbucks did you guys order?
3: No, we ordered a lot of pizza, but no Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean,
0: hard. it's hard. To it,
3: make it's it's tough because especially when you can't afford to pay your actors. I mean, when we couldn't afford to pay our actors, you know, I mean. We relied on them, and there were plenty of nights, you know, that it people wouldn't show up and things like that. And of course, you can't tell viewers when they're watching the movie, oh, well, this happened and this happened, and that's why these scenes might, didn't turn out quite as good because <laughs> when they're watching it, they're like, oh, this, you know, the, uh, this part's boring or something like that. And yeah. I'm like, what? It wasn't intended to be, but it just kind of happened that way. I
0: have a friend who used to be in a lot of B-movies in the early 2000s, a lot of shot-on-video stuff, and she made a movie – her sister was like, I want to be in the movie, too. So she asked the director, and the director's like, whatever, have her put on it. Because they they, they're in the movie in bikinis. All the girls, like, did the whole movie. And she's like, whatever, as long as she wants to wear a bikini. Now, I haven't seen this movie, so I can't attest exactly how it plays out. But she went for, like, a couple of days. They shot it out in the desert. And then she's like, I'm bored. And she just quit showing up. So there's a character in the movie for, like, part of it. And then she just disappears, and nobody knows what happens to her. Wow.
2: Doesn't it happen, like, in almost every Friday the 13th movie? Isn't there a character who you don't see get killed, like the mom in part four? Where it's like, what happened to her? Yeah,
0: but just to kind of allude to it? Like, you kind of have – I think she just, like, is in a cave and then, like, that's it. You know what I mean?
2: The the girl in the, the in, desert? Yeah. In the bikini. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, when did the mom go in a cage? Okay,
0: no. I think in the movie Final my step. friend made I just go think ahead. it was so funny because her sister like begged her to be in it. Uh-huh. you know, and then she's so she talked to the director and he's like, Yeah, sure and then she just stopped after like two days. Yeah. I'm done.
3: I think some people have this idea in their head that it's so much fun making a movie and it can be, but it's mm-hmm. like a lot of hard work and a lot of hurry up and wait. Yeah, that's it like
0: is. Yes, yes I yeah. had a friend who wanted to be an actress, and she was in. Oh, it was, I think it was called Torque. Do you remember that movie? I think like Ice Cube's in it. Yeah. She's just an extra in it. I shouldn't say she's just an extra. She's an extra in it. They made her stand out in the cold, and like it was horrible. And they stood for uh, for hours and hours and hours to get like thirty seconds of footage where you probably can't even see her. Wow. And then she just like quietly stopped talking about wanting to be an
2: actress. <laughs> you know,
0: well, I think it was I, really disillusioning for her.
2: When I was in college, we did a. a I did a, uh, a couple of short films. One of them, we had a, a sixteen millimeter camera. We were out in the woods. I was dressed in a bear suit. I had a full crew. We were all set to go. It was awesome, and it was. And then uh, it start. It was cool because it was wintertime. Then it started to snow. And about fifteen twenty minutes into the actual shoot, the camera froze. Oh it got wow! So cold. Oh. Man. And so we had to, like, I tried to get another camera, but we couldn't do it. So it was like literally, we had to, it, it went from being like, I was the director, I also wrote it, and I was the star as the, I played a security cop bear who was in the woods, and the guy tried to steal some stuff from the woods. And I was, I was, um, I was placing him under arrest. Uh, but it, it was funny because it went from, we had a crew, well, not a big crew, there were one, two, we had like five people. Two actors, including myself, and we were all set to go to it being myself, my actor, and my girlfriend at the time helping out and sometimes stepping into the Bears because we had to reshoot it a few days later, and I couldn't get anyone back to do it. So we, uh-huh. I had to completely rewrite everything because we couldn't do sync sound anymore because it was only three of us. So, um, But it was – I mean it was fun. I, when we showed it at the, like, the film festival at the end of the school year – uh, folks laughed where they were supposed to laugh, and I actually made an appearance in the bear suit, and I shook hands in the front row Aww. of the crowd. I think it was awesome. That
0: was been great for them to meet the star.
2: Oh, it was awesome, yeah, because the the <laughs> movie the movie ends and it says something like the producers would like to thank the the director and stars of this movie, and then it was planned that there was just white leader that came up for like a minute so the whole theater was kind of sort of lit up someone opened the exit door that was right near the screen and myself and the the guy who i chase around in the and the my girlfriend we all strolled out together and we waved to everyone and everyone cheered and i was shaking people's hands we had a great time and that i think that was done to cover up the fact that the movie was so short and so cheap looking
0: but where does the zuni finished fit in you haven't told us what you thought about this
2: Oh, yeah. I like it. It's great. It runs around <laughs> and it tries to kill Karen Black, and she puts it in the, in the oven. <laughs> A little bastard. I know. I, He's just trying and, to survive. Yeah, and, and I will say this. I mean, the, the great thing about the Zuni fetish doll is – I mean, the the sort of lineage, we have Voodoo Massacre, we have Attack of the Beast creatures, and we have in some yes. variation, maybe possibly Chester and Turner's Black Devil Doll from Hell. Possibly. You know what, I
0: have all those listed, and I will tell you, and I meant to drop a line to my friend and I ran out of time, but um, I don't know if you guys have seen Tales from the Hood. Would you remember the doll segment?
3: Oh, I've seen it, but I saw it when it first came out. I don't remember anything about it.
0: All right, well, I won't tell. I won't tell him to listen to this episode. But my friend Darren Scott produced that, and um, he was inspired by the Zuni fetish doll for the doll segment. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it goes deep. It goes deep.
3: Yeah, I'm very happy that you lumped my film in with all those others.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was gonna. I was gonna do that because I was making the list, and I was like, oh, and Voodoo Massacre, of course. But then you mentioned it, so I, I thought. I thought maybe I could pull it off as a surprise. but
0: I, I think that's pretty fun. Voodoo Massacre, Tales from the Hood, Attack of the Beast. Attack of the
2: Beast Creatures. Attack Blacked of the Beast Creatures is probably
0: my favorite of all of those because it's so obvious that the Zuni Fetish doll influenced it. And, but what they did was they did, for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's about these people kind of trapped on an island with, basically there's like 60 to 100 of those dolls. yeah, And they're adorable. And they like attack everybody and eat people's faces and like do a lot of awesome stuff. And they're so cute. They run. And like the, an- yes, the animatronics or whatever you want to call it is so adorable. And it's just, it's such a great movie full of so
2: much heart. It's, it is, it is a lot. And they worship a giant. Oh. Um- and they're so cute. They they're are so cute when cute
0: they're worshiping it because you see their little backs with their hair and everything. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally in love with them.
2: It's a sweet, and it was made in my wife's hometown, of Fairfield, Connecticut. Oh,
0: I didn't know that. That's interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah the movies. Uh, yeah, tag the beast creatures is a lot of fun, folks. If you haven't yeah.
0: seen it. So, Dan, do you want to tell us about the first time you remember seeing *Trilogy of Terror*?
2: I, the- I was trying to think, and I don't remember the first oh, time yeah. I've seen it. I remember. I remember it was a, oh, it was a, it was a while ago. But I, I actually, I honestly do not remember. I know it's sort of been in my mind for a very long time, but I, I do not remember the first time. And I've let Never. everyone down. I apologize. I'm going to okay. make up a story. I was 12. <laughs> it was 4 in the morning. I just happened to stumble across it. I had insomnia, and it scared me to death. How about that?
0: That sounds good. It would scare Woo-hoo. me to death at 4 in the morning as well.
2: And then the, the sort of strange... Uh, psychosexual politics of the first tale Intrigued me as a 12 year old
0: <laughs> I bet they did I bet they were thinking all about it <laughs>
2: <laughs> Well you know me
0: So do we want to say anything else before I do the trivia Because there's actually a lot of trivia
2: Oh yes please Oh. No, oh uh, no, I'm 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 good. I think I'm good. I think I'm good. And I'm very
3: saddened
2: that I might miss
3: oh. the trivia because oh. I mean I, I I wanted to to keep going. I actually usually am am gone before ten, yeah. so actually uh, I yeah. did pretty well tonight. <laughs> yeah, did. thank you, thank you, yeah.
0: So <laughs> no, why that. don't you real quick before you go? Why don't you go ahead and tell us? I know your hysteria continues is next, right? Your pick.
3: Yes, my um, uh, next pick on the hysteria continues coming up is going to be Blood Hook, Woo-hoo. and Hollywood New Blood. Um, we haven't taped it yet. Um, we're going to, I think, uh, it's going to be probably in a week or two. It might be about two weeks, but
0: okay, it'll probably be a week from when I get this actually online. So
3: it's it's going to be very exciting though, because both of those movies are phenomenal.
0: I have they to say, are. you guys have been spitting out episodes. Like nobody's business since this year started. I can, I, can all, I can barely keep up with it. I haven't been able to comment on any of the episodes in the Facebook page because I think I see it in the feed, and then I'm like, oh, I'm going to go back and write something about Suspiria, and then you tape the episode.
3: Oh, yes. You know, just Actually, on that one, but... I, was, yeah, I wasn't on that one. That's when I was meeting Elvira, but.
0: Well, you missed out on it. You should have stayed. Well, okay, so we'll keep an eye out for that, Nate. And thank you. I'm glad you could stick around a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
2: thank you, Nate.
0: I'm not sure you we know. went as much as the Juni fetish dolls. Maybe we should. We got we really went on a tangent there, but
3: maybe we did. But that was that was a fun tangent. And everybody <laughs> watch
0: Voodoo Massacre. And Nate will eventually watch another one of these films and give us his five minutes.
3: I oh promise I will. I All right. promise.
0: All right. <laughs> All right. We'll All see right. you next time. Thank but...
3: you again, Nate. <laughs> All right,
0: Nate, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> <All
3: right. laughs> bye, bye. Bye, Mr. Hazelrig.
0: Here's the trivia on Trilogy of Terror. So it as Dan said, it originally aired on March 4th, 1975. It aired on ABC. It was uh the Tuesday movie of the week. It ran against, on NBC, a premiere of another TV movie called The Last Survivors, which uh, starred Martin Sheen and was a remake of the 1957 theatrical film Abandoned Ship. And on CBS, it ran against the MASH episode Payday. And the first annual People's Choice Awards. Wow. So that's kind of an interesting lineup for the evening. I don't know what the ratings were for any of these, to be honest with you. Um, Trilogy aired on ABC in primetime and then made its debut on ABC Y World of Entertainment, which it ran in conjunction with Y World Mystery later that year on September 10th, which was a Wednesday. Uh, the props uh, were designed by Eric Allard, or Allard, I'm sorry, who also worked as a second unit director on Trilogy of Terror 2. So he's the guy who created the doll. He built the doll. The pre-production title was actually Trilogy in Terror. And Walker Edmiston did the voice of Zuni and was a prolific voice actor and character actor. He's probably best known as Admirable Scuttlebutt among others on Lidsville. And appeared in shows like Quincy and The Name of the Game. And as we mentioned earlier, William F. Nolan adapted the first two stories from—they uh, were all Matheson short stories—and then he took the first two of and Matheson, kept the one with the zuni fetish doll from the television horrors of Dan Curtis. Matheson commented, "Nolan adapted two of my stories for trilogy, and they were not the easiest to adapt. He did a wonderful job with them. And how did I reward him? Being the mean guy that I am, I kept the best story for myself, and that's the one everyone remembers." <laughs> So just to backtrack a little, Julie, which is the first of the three in Trilogy of Terror, was based on uh, Matheson's short story, The Likeness of Julie. Black originally didn't want to do the movie, but considered it when they offered the part of the sleazy student to her then-husband, Robert Skip Burton. So that was her husband who actually plays her assailant, which is so weird. I don't even want to...
2: Yeah. Did she call him Skip or was... um... I
0: don't know. That's just the nickname he has on... I think it was in the book. And that's how he's on IMDb. But I don't really know if he... Because she was married to Kit L.M. Carson too, right?
2: Oh wow, the the guy who wrote Texas Chainsaw Massacre too.
0: I think so. Yeah, and they have a kid. Oh wow. Yeah, and his name was Kit. So she liked guys with nicknames. So, a, skip. Yeah. so she also liked that she got to be really unglamorous, which was a change of pace for her. And she'd originally thought this type of spinster role wouldn't actually come her way for years. And then in Millicent and Therese, that was adapted from the Matheson short story Needle in the Heart. Amelia was adapted from something called Prey. Matheson reworked the phone conversation to make the mother's death seem justified, which it does. You can't wait till they kill her ass in that movie. Curtis used a hand puppet and covered up the little holes he made in the floor with shag carpeting. So that's why you see shag everywhere, I guess. Mm. Uh, That's when shag comes in handy, the one time (laughs) ever (laughs) that that we actually have shag carpeting in our house. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, we buy rugs, and I always buy the shag rugs. They're horrible to clean, but they're great to just hang out on. They used a rod to move the doll, but Curtis didn't feel like it looked right, so he decided to use a handheld camera that was about two inches off the ground. Then the puppet they used a puppeteer who was um, named Eric Von Bulow, I think I got that right who actually created the Pillsbury Doughboy and oh, wow. he and Curtis shot some close-ups and they edited that in with the um, handheld camera uh, and actually this was a generally well-received movie and Variety praised Karen Black's performances. Amelia was released by itself on VHS as Terror of the Doll and has been a big Im- oh we mentioned this influence on movies like Attack of the Beast Creatures, Black Devil Doll, and Tales from the Hood. In 2000, and this really kills me because I was in L.A. when this happened, in 2000, the Museum of Television and Radio, which is, I believe now, the Paley Center, hosted a screening of Trilogy of Terror with Karen Black, Dan Curtis, Richard Matheson, and William F.
2: Nolan. Holy schlamoley. I know. I Can that? you believe
0: that we missed that? That's historical. Wow. At the screening, Black commented, of all my movies, that's the one people remember most. And they remember it for one reason. That little evil doll scared the hell out of them. And wow. that's, my, that's my trivia.
2: Wow. I, I was going to say, I thought it would be uh, the thing people remembered her for most is um, appearing alongside Charlton Heston as he's wearing that awful yellow um, oh. turtleneck sweater in Airport 75.
0: I, airport 75 is my favorite of the airport movies.
2: Airport 75 is my favorite to watch. Airport 77 is the actual best movie, I think, of the four. But 75 is the most fun to watch.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's the campiest.
2: Yes, it's- 79 is great also because you get a lot of George Kennedy.
0: The thing I don't like about 75 is that Dana Andrews causes the plane to like lose Oh, book. yeah. And I don't like Dana Andrews dying and stuff because mm. I love That's- him and it upset me.
2: Sure, he's great. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry for her. I'm sorry. That's okay. I didn't mean I, I didn't mean on. to take it down that road.
0: <laughs> I moved on, but when I'm watching, he's like a heart attack, right? And when he's yes, flying the yes. plane, his little plane hits the big plane, and his wife was waiting for him, and I think it's Beverly Garland. And, it is
2: Beverly Garland, and
0: right. she's waiting for him, and he's dead, and she was married to Dana yeah. Andrews, and i just yeah. sad too because
2: And who show, who shows up at her house? Larry Storch. As oh, a, I don't like, remember
0: that. Who, That's hilarious. I just remember to like annoy everybody. Bad for her. I love Larry Storch.
2: He's great, yeah. It's
0: pretty amazing. So and
2: Karen Black is also wonderful in Nashville. She was in yeah, Nashville he- around the same time as Trilogy of Terror. Nashville is one of my favorite films of all time, I think. So it's uh, she's fantastic in it. Yeah,
0: she's she's always in a, the '70s. Was really her decade.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, she was in a kind of some well, Killer Fish. Mm-hmm. She also just hung it up after Killer Fish. She,
2: that's true, yeah. In the pics, <laughs> she was in the pics. Well, yeah, right? I haven't
0: seen that yet, but I have it.
2: Yeah, I have it somewhere.
0: Yeah, it was it was one of those really cheap DVDs, mm-hmm. and that you just buy because it's cheap.
2: Yeah, and then you mean
0: watch it, and you never do.
2: And it's like you, what, what is, what is a pix? And then you, you watch, and you go, oh, okay, I get it. I'm with it now.
0: I'm with I'm, it. I'm hip.
2: I'm hip. I'm hip. I'm hip to that. Well,
0: Karen did a lot of really interesting stuff in the 70s, and one of them happened to be something called The Strange Possession of Mrs. Oliver.
2: Which I keep calling The Possession of Miss Jane Oliver. <laughs> I don't know why. I think that's like, isn't that the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman or something like that? Isn't yes. That?
0: They're the same film.
2: Yeah, this is, this is a tricky one because it's The the Strange Possession of Mrs. Jane. No, it's The Strange Possession of Mrs. Oliver from uh, February 28th, 1977, uh, directed by Gordon Hessler.
1: Yay! Who,
2: uh, who was about a year away from making The Ultimate. In motion pictures, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park.
1: Right.
2: Teleplay by, again, Richard Matheson. Basically, and I'll, I'll try I – w- I won't linger too long on – because this is really like – it sort of is like an extended um, Twilight Zone or Alfred Hitchcock Presents.
0: Yeah, I will say I have two clips, but it was really hard for me to call Clips for this because it's almost all visual. Like I didn't even realize that till yes. I started to go back for the yeah. clips. It's really about silence and reactions and shadows
1: mm-hmm. and, and discovery.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: discovery and music, but there's not necessarily a lot of dialogue.
2: So, well, it begins with the opening credits of buildings on fire, a dog is barking, and a woman screams. Then it goes to a funeral. Miriam and her husband whose name I didn't write down but please played by um George Hamilton it's Camelton. Greg Oliver. Oh let me let me just check his name real quick I can get it. It's uh, Greg
0: it's Greg Oliver. It's
2: Greg. Greg. Greg and Miriam, Greg and Miriam Oliver arrive at the uh cemetery uh and they arrive in a one of a beautiful like phantasm style mausoleum. Yes, I thought of that. Too. And, and there are all these people in chairs right pushed right up against the wall and her and her husband are walking down the hallway. And um, there's, there's sort of very minor key funeral esque music playing. That's slightly weird um, that she comments on. She says, why are they playing this? And they, they gradually approach the coffin and Miriam becomes fidgety and she becomes very fidgety and like, "Uh, she can't do it. She can't do it. All of a sudden her husband turns from George Hamilton into a guy with a lovely mustache and what looks like fire on his shirt. Did you like, uh,
0: did you not recognize the actor?
2: I recognize the actor, but I I, I
0: You know who he is?
2: I'm gonna uh, Who is he? Mr Hazelright. Holy shl Holy schlamole. Robert okay, Lyons.
0: That, That's the great Robert that, Lyons.
2: Okay, yeah, so it, she, he becomes Mr. Hazelrigg's lover from Dark Knight <laughs> of the Scarecrow. And he's got this mustache and he's got a shirt, which I think has flames on it. I can't remember. And uh, uh, Miriam up to the coffin, opens the coffin. Uh, the coffin has like a strange black um, flower thing or something. I don't even know what the heck it is on top of it, which makes Miriam kind of, um, Draw back for a moment. Uh, the coffin lid is raised and Miriam is in the coffin. Dun, dun,
1: dun. And flames
2: burst up and craziness, and she's dreaming. And she does that thing where she suddenly bolt upright in bed and she shrieks. And George Hamilton wakes up and he says, Baby, go back to bed. No, he. <laughs> he uh,
1: and.
2: and um,
0: well, this is an important. Can I just bring something up yes. um, here? Is that I think this is a really important, not the dream, but when she wakes up from the dream, it's really important because when she sits up, she's covered in shadow. And oh. I think it's because this movie's all about identity, right? I think it's really interesting that there's a lot of obscuring of her face in certain mm.
2: scenes. I, I watched this twice for this. And the first time I watched it, I was like, okay. But the second time when I went back and watched it, when I knew what was happening, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. I I wrote a lot of notes, most of which I'm probably not even going to refer to, except the fact that she does say she's 26. I don't know if that's in her feedback, actually. Is yeah? (laughs) Yeah, So we brought
0: it up. I don't know if you want to wait or just mention it now. Well I just,
2: I, I, um, I was just that was one of my notes. It says she's 26. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, Oh, she's 26 and she's dying inside. Actually, is the note I have written here. So um,
0: we were all dying inside at 26, honey. Oh, god.
2: Uh, we learn that uh, Greg—it's Greg, right? Yes, I was going to say yes. I'm sorry, I didn't write his name down. I'm going to do that now. Greg is a lawyer.
1: Yes.
2: And he's—he's a pretty—he's a pretty, pretty big time lawyer. He's pretty. Yeah, he's—he's he's a good looking <laughs> fella. He is a good looking fella, and he's—and they live in a huge house. And apparently, the way—the way it's looking to me, because—because cause Greg looks like he's probably, like I was going to say, forty. Or a little <laughs> older than that, Maybe. and she she is specifically twenty six, which she says she stays at home. He goes out. He does his lawyering. He probably has a lawyer stand, you know. That's like <laughs> it's like it's like a, it's like a fruit stand by the side of the road, except you sell law. And he he makes good. He makes a good living. And all she is there to do apparently is she has to have a baby. You want you eating?
1: I have to lose some weight.
2: You say so. Greg, mm-hmm.
1: I'd like to talk to you.
2: Look, I have to check over every word in these contracts before I go into court today.
3: Is it really necessary
0: that I stay at home? Maybe I could volunteer for work at some of the hospitals.
1: You need that for?
0: For something to do.
1: What are you talking about? I thought we agreed.
0: I know we agreed. It's just that I feel trapped.
2: Trapped? What are you talking about? You're doing anything you want.
0: As long as I stay home. As long as I have a baby right away.
2: That was the agreement. You have enough to do taking care of the house.
0: So that's a problem right there.
2: I And she does say that she dreamed uh, last night. She says, I dreamed I was dead. And he's looking at his contracts, eating, and he says, "Oh well, that's a nice dream." <laughs> yeah, so,
1: it's, he's
0: an interesting character. I guess we'll talk about it as yeah, he, the, your stuff progresses. But I think he's a he's a kind of a good guy, actually. But he doesn't I, I come across so. that way at the beginning.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, and and what happens is he goes to work, and it's funny because if only Mrs. Oliver had watched another TV movie from a few years before. Um, Don't be afraid of the dark. She'd know that when you're married to a lawyer who's pushing and pushing, (laughs) strange things are going to happen.
0: Well, you know, that's a theme. I wish i thought to theme those together.
2: It's really brilliant. uh, 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 So what happens is uh, Mrs. Oliver goes out and she goes shopping, and she sees this red top. I don't know. Is it a blouse? Is it a sweater? It's like a sweater, I think. It's like a sweater, and she really likes it. And there's this great... Um, sales lady who I would describe as blousy, but um, but in the best possible way. It was like, oh, sweetie, that looked great. Oh, I love
0: that actress. She's in Uh, um, she's she's in Welcome to Arrow Beach.
2: Oh, she's the prostitute
0: in the photo shoot. You remember that when he's taking pictures and
2: she's great. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Miriam is is wanting something more out of life than she doesn't want to be tied down and have a baby. She wants to get out there and live, and she she sees a wig. That she a blonde wig that she really likes. I don't know if this is a Karen Black theme, <laughs> but she sees a blonde wig she really likes. She sees the red top. And uh, there, there are several conversations she has with Greg about what's going on and that kind of thing. And there's this strange musical theme that keeps repeating that in a minor key was in the f- – the dream sequence at the funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's a little more pop, a little more soft rock, a little more depressing. Actually, that might just be me saying that. I find every time this theme plays, she loves it, but it, it drives me up the wall. Uh, she's she's getting flashes, strange flashes of someone else, another life, another woman, another something. And the next yeah. day she goes and she buys the the red thingy and she buys the wig. And she presents herself to Greg, dressed like that, and she looks really good. Yes, yeah, she does. But Greg's response is sort of like, "What the hell?" And I think, I think, in Greg's defense, he was asleep, and well, he suddenly, he's, uh, its well, not his
0: wife. I mean, this is where I—I I think we start to see that Greg isn't that big of a jerk because I think he's in love with his wife.
2: He's in love with Miriam, and Miriam is slowly becoming someone else.
0: Yeah. So it's not that necessarily, cause she does look better <laughs> mm-hmm. with the wig and everything, but, but to him, that's not the woman he loves.
2: Yes, exactly. You know, and it's, it's not like, it's not like to bring it back to sort of like, don't be afraid of the dark where Jim Hutton's character is kind of, sort of believing what his wife is telling him about strange things going on. It's like, it's like Greg is, um he's just confused by why his wife is putting on this wig and he's very apologetic later on. He's yes. like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know? And I mean, look, look at it this way. You know, I mean like Amanda, if you were asleep on a chair, sound asleep, daydreaming. So you're dreaming of, so Bert Convey's in your mind. And then all of a sudden someone comes up to you, wakes you up and it's your husband and he's got a, I don't know he I don't know my a, husband looks like
0: Burt Convy. I little. was gonna say
2: he's he's got a mohawk on and he's yeah. dressed completely different, and for that that moment when you wake up, your response is What the hell, but you hurt his feelings so much that he was crying to the bedroom. oh that would be really heartbreaking that would be hard and I think that's what happens here because I've had you know we've all had moments where like we're sound asleep, and s- someone wakes us up and our initial response is wrong you know what it might
0: be like when you woke up your wife and you and you had gotten rid of the mullet
2: oh that's true yeah that was only about four days ago actually.
0: <laughs> that, that was upsetting for her
2: that was she didn't know what was going on she, she where am up, i what is this world this... i live in <laughs> where's the mullet i i said i had a baggie with the hair in it and i said it's all in here it's all in here she actually goes out into the world wearing this wig wearing this sweater, kind of a a different woman. And as she does this, a dog begins to follow her, and she begins to realize that she doesn't want to keep the name Miriam.
0: Well, I mean, just I don't want to skip over your synopsis too much. Oh, I'm sorry. um, Not skip over it, but uh, backtrack a little. Oh, yeah. he gets so concerned, he wants her to go – to a therapist. Yes. And she goes, but she can't get into the office. Like she gets to the building and she's like, I can't do this. Something stops her inside of herself and she leaves. And then her husband's got to take an out of town trip. So she decides, well, she had rented this vacation house. Yes. And she decides, I'm going to go to this vacation house while he's out of town and just see what happens. And so she drives up to this beautiful kind of weird coastal town that's really quiet, sleepy. She's got on those really great like capri pants. I think mm-hmm. they were, and her red sweater, and she's walking down the street, and then the dog starts. Falling. I just want to like add all that cause...
2: Oh no, I was. I'm sorry, I was. That's uh, okay. I was. Uh, Usually, like I the synopsis really
0: fa- fast, and you were doing it really well. You were getting, but I just felt like that was kind of important.
2: It it, it yeah, that's the thing about this movie. I think is that almost everything that happens is is, is really important to the uh, the structure. I mean, Richard Matheson was a fantastic writer, so Absolutely. everything's important. And so so I, I'll just... Um, she goes to a bar. Hey, Sandy! Long time no see. How you doing?
3: My name isn't Sandy. It's not. You look just like a girl used to come in here. Red blouse, blonde
2: hair, earrings, everything.
0: And your name was Sandy?
2: Yeah. What can I do for you? Um, just a glass of white wine, please.
0: <laughs> no, make that a tequila sour.
3: You gotta be kidding. That's what Sandy used to drink.
0: Make it a screwdriver then. Okay.
3: She must have moved or something. Hey, Mark. Whatever happened to Sandy? She moved away. Yeah, that's what I thought. Doesn't she look like her? Yeah. yeah, she
0: does. So what I like so much about that scene, it was kind of hard to cut down there. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of music, <laughs> but what I liked... Was when that guy at the end of the bar talks to her. He's also all in shadow. Yes. And you can't see who he is. He's just a stranger. And mm. his response is so deadpan. It's yeah. really creepy. And it's kind of hard to do it in a sound clip. But visually, I thought they did a really good job of, like, creating a sense of dread in a yeah. bar with pretty funky music.
2: Yeah, super funky music. <laughs> I like and, it. And- yeah, it's great. And, and a moment later, um, what's it? Skeeter there from uh, Dark Knight of Scarecrow comes up and with his mustache and he's looking good. And he says to her and he, he begins to talk to her, you know, like she's Sandy. Did I mention that right before she went in the bar, she decided she was going to call herself Sandy? Literally as she's walking in the bar, she sees something and she says, Sandy. That's right.
0: That's yeah, right.
2: That's my name. And she goes in and almost instantly someone says, Sandy. And it's like it's suddenly it's like one of those Twilight Zone episodes where you like you're on a train and you get off a train and suddenly it's like forty years in the past or something right. like that. Or something's gone really crazy. And of course Richard Matheson wrote many of the great Twilight Zone episodes. Sandy ends up this guy in a like a like um like a tank top, I think, comes up oh, yeah, and yeah, kind yeah. of pushes um Skeeter out of the way and says, uh, you want to dance? And she said, well, I don't really dance that well. And she doesn't dance that well. And the music is playing. I mean, if that music is playing constantly in that bar, everyone should be on the floor like convulsing. (laughs) Because that's just like, it's like a constant crescendo. How does that happen in music for like six or seven hours straight? In her mind, Miriam Sandy starts to hear The funky version of that minor key theme that was playing at the funeral. I'm forgetting how the theme goes now. You will either love that theme so much (laughs) and want to hear it over and over again, or you will want to swallow glass. It drove me up the wall, but that's part of the fun is that yeah that's fun and uh, suddenly uh sandy begins or miriam sandy begins dancing and she she lets herself go and there's slow-mo shots of her dancing to this music and it's just uh she's having a great time
0: yeah that actually her dancing was uh the promo image that ended up in most of the newspapers
2: oh yeah it's it's a great it's a great it's a great sequence and um at that point, I'm trying to remember exactly does she, if she meets up with her husband again before I was going to go no, to I her. No, I don't think
0: so. I don't think I don't think they see each other again till the end.
2: Okay, and so what happens next is this dog won't stop following her, and so eventually she begins sort of asking around, and someone oh, wait, says Oh, maybe she
0: does run into her husband again. Oh I was going to say
2: I think I think there's a I think there is a sequence right after that where she goes and meets up with her husband, and she's sort of like she's kind of contrite for the the way she acted which seems a little weird. But um I I didn't write that one down. But uh you know George Hamilton he's still he's still a decently nice guy, you know, for being a guy who's kind of got a sexist attitude. He's a decent sexist, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there's such a thing. He's not a douche um,
0: nozzle.
2: He's not a douche no no, in no way shape or form because he's very throughout the movie he's very like he just he loves her and wants to help her. Well, he's
0: legitimately worried about her, you know.
2: Yes, exactly. She goes out the next day and she's trying to find out who this dog belongs to that keeps following her and she learns as she and this is great she goes to a guy and is like do you know this who this dog belongs to oh yeah the dog belongs to mrs dempsey she lives down the road in a black house with a black fence okay i got i got it i got the symbolism on that the black house with the black fence and indeed it is a black house with a black fence and she ta- No, not at all. And Mir- So Miriam Sandy takes the dog there, and a, a, lo- a fantastic lady answers the door. It's not Mrs. Dempsey. I don't know the name of this actress, but Is it I it Lucille love- Benson?
0: So- was, she- was it the woman from Bosom Buddies? That, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Lucille Benson was in another Gordon Hesler movie called Betrayal as well. And you know what? She's so unintentionally funny. She? She's in this also. She plays a hitman in Ebony, Ivory, and Jade, the TV uh-huh. movie with uh, Burt Convey. Uh-huh. Um, yeah
2: so go ahead oh uh and she um yeah she basically says oh that that's mrs dempsey's dog mrs dempsey isn't here and they chat for a moment and and then miriam sees miriam dressed as sandy and i put that in quotes with her wig and a red uh sweater sees above the mantelpiece a portrait of a woman with long blonde hair in a red sweater who looks exactly like her And she begins to ask this woman who came to the door about Mrs. Dempsey's daughter. But this woman doesn't know anything about Mrs. Dempsey's daughter. And so Miriam goes away completely confused. And things are beginning to build and build here because Skeeter, and that's not his name in the movie. His name is Mark. Mark, the guy with the mustache and the fire on his shirt, who keeps opening the coffin with her inside it. And there's fire. He's beginning to follow her. And not in a nice way. <laughs> it's and, never nice
0: when you follow people, actually. No,
2: I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull down the curtain on my uh, synopsis here. In that Sandy returns to the house when Mrs. Dempsey is there a little later. There are several big revelations, and in the last ten or fifteen minutes of the movie, twists begin piling upon twists, and this, that, and the other thing and it just begins to what's going on who is sandy who is miriam that at one point early on in the movie there's a beautiful scene where uh what what is it she, uh uh miriam says to to greg something like like i don't know who i am or yeah. something and he says well who are you who are, which is and it's just this it's building towards this big revelation of who is sandy and why does everyone know her and who is this? Who is? What's this dog? Who is Missus Dempsey? What's the burning building about? And who's Skeeter? Who's Skeeter? Mister Hazelrigg, and <laughs> it's just it builds and builds, and it's really I think it's quite. The first time I watched it, I thought, oh okay. The second time I watched it, I found it quite moving. Uh, when it gets to the end, because it's quite lovely when it reaches the end. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stop my synopsis, so now we can begin to spoil things yeah. about the end. I, I
0: think I'm a little mixed up about the ending, not mixed up confused, okay. mixed up with my feelings about it. Uh, there's a book, I think it's called The Monster Book, and I wrote it in my notes when we get to feedback, I can confirm, where they call this movie a feminist backlash curio. And I thought that's how I feel about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I feel that the movie felt really empowering for like the first 60 minutes
1: mm-hmm. in
0: that it's like, who I don't know who I am, who are you? Um, it isn't all about having children. I feel like my identity is wrapped up in this tradition, and I want to have a different kind of life for myself. Uh-huh. And then in the end, we find out, oh, no, I want to be really, like, tied down this way. I feel like it's confusing. I feel like it's got all these really interesting – because I'm trying to do – I don't know if I want to spoil the twist. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, I know, because it, it actually is really – it's, it's good. It's it works. It's pretty clever. It's pretty darn clever and it sorts – and it, and when you go back and watch it a second time, it all – it's all there. It's yeah, all there.
0: Yeah, it, it makes sense. But like – but I felt like they built up all this stuff about it really being about – and I don't mean to bring gender politics into it. Like I'm um, – Please, this, no. You know what I mean about everything? But for these particular movies, the uh, first segment in Zuni in, um Trilogy of Terror and this, it's hard for me to not – Feel that oh, way? oh, I
2: I understand. I, I I had the same thought when I was watching it. I was I I didn't know whether I was over reading it or. Um, but then I, I feel tr- like they
0: they sweep it away, like all of that build up about the symbolism of the woman in the seventies and these two worlds that are kind mm-hmm. of uh, at tension with each other. You know what I mean? The woman who mm-hmm. wants to have more freedom and decisions and autonomy, and then the woman who's supposed to get married and have children and be happy doing it, and then it kind of like takes that tension and then it turns it into like what is kind of a more literal response.
2: Yes. When it
0: solves the mystery. And so I'm, I'm kind of at odds with the ending.
2: If, if the ending had gone on an extra five minutes or maybe we'd seen them the next day or something. And we'd seen, because it, it sort of ends like at the crisis moment has been averted and there's a, a moment and then it ends. And so it's almost like, I, I wonder if I'm um, trying not to ruin it, but I wonder if uh, Miriam, slash Sandy had been uh, changed by it from. In, yeah. In, in any way. Well, she would I... have
0: to have been, I would think. And and I also think that it's going to cause a lot of problems with George Hamilton because I... he, that's, he thought he was in a different kind of relationship.
2: Yes. And, and he, and, and at that, at that moment there's, I think the final speech, well, it's not a speech. It's only four or five lines that, that Miriam gives right at the end, I think is really lovely. After that speech, she's gonna to have to explain to Greg what the hell is going on.
0: This is not gonna work the, out well.
2: The speech is a lovely, almost poetic moment right at the end, which which contrasts with the moment earlier on with "Who are you?" That and it kind of closes out that moment, but it doesn't give a f- full explanation yeah. for for what the, the sort of um, we 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 get the viewer gets all the um, exposition they need but uh unfortunately the husband doesn't yeah and so you you don't know how he's going to react and you don't know when she's done explaining it you don't know what she's going to say at the end of it you know she could say i've come out the other end of this and yeah i'd like to have a baby someday or right now or not at all right. you know you don't it's it's tricky really because it's built it's built with all this lovely ambiguity and strangeness and weirdness but then it, and I think rightfully so for what it is, it you get the twist, you get the ending, and then it goes yeah
0: i and, just and, i feel, I just felt like it was it was it was supposed to be about something else and and maybe Matheson, I don't know what he was thinking, but I, I just feel like there's a lot of symbolism in there for one thing, and then they kind of drop it, yeah. I know. I know. It's hard. And I don't want it because tr- I think tr- people tr- should should see it because it is a really good movie yes. and I do think the twist is really good. I think it's mm-hmm. solid. I think it does make sense when you go back to look at it. I just feel like the themes, uh, the underlying themes to it in the subtext is weakened by the ending.
2: I-, I didn't know whether I should not like Greg for being so like a 50s kind of guy was, or something yeah, like that. You know, whatever, and, and right? Yeah, I, I don't know if I should – I mean, because she says she's 26. He looks like he's probably 45, 46, <laughs> right. maybe even he looks a little good, older. Though. He looks fantastic. Oh, oh no, no, yeah, they're, they're a lovely couple. I, just personally, as a guy, I don't know, I don't know how I should. Um...
0: That's interesting because because I like Greg a lot, and I, I mean, okay, so I only watched this once, but I watched it full attention. I was actually on an airplane, and um, oh, wow. and I put it on, and there was nothing else to distract me, and I loved it. You know, I'd seen this once uh-huh. before but a long time ago and I didn't really remember enough about it that I didn't even remember the ending, but I remembered a lot of the shadows and like the atmosphere and I remembered the bar scene, but I kind of didn't pick up on a lot of stuff in my first viewing this time. I started going, "Ugh, oh, Greg, come on, stop it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Take some time out for your wife. She's lonely. She's in this yes. big house by herself all day, but I feel like, He's actually a pretty good guy. And I think that I'm glad that he's written the way he was. He's not black Mm. and white. He's definitely got a lot of gray in there. Mm. And I do think that his over, maybe his approach was not great, but his heart was there. And I really felt like he loved this woman and I liked him, you know? Yeah. So I think, and I'm glad that they did that because, because as the film was being laid out and I thought it was really supposed to be the sort of message about this sort of second wave feminism and how it's affecting women. I thought it was really a smart choice not to make Greg completely deplorable.
1: Yeah. Which I could
0: have easily done. And because there's nothing worse than watching a movie that tries to empower one group of people by marginalizing another. Do you know uh-huh. what I mean? And, yeah. and so I don't, you know, anybody knows that anybody who calls himself a feminist and then, is horrible to men as <laughs> not a feminist, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I was really, so that was a really smart choice on Richard Matheson's part. And, um, and I think he gave that character enough gray in it. He's us, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because everybody kind of sort of knows what's happening. Well, the other main characters Skeeter and, and Miriam, they, they might not know on the surface, but they know what's happening. And so he's the guy that's like us. He's confused. Why is she wearing the wig? Yeah. Why is she different? Why isn't she the woman that I thought she was? And so he's us. And, and I thought that Richard Matheson did a really good job of doing that, putting him in our place.
2: Yeah. Cause he's getting, yeah. Cause I guess like 90% of what's going on, he's just
0: not there Yeah. He's like, what? Yeah,
2: He's just, what is going on? Yeah. Well, you're right. He's not
0: there because he's working really hard, but he's working really hard because I think he's trying to provide for her. You know what I I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah, he. I. I think. I mean, that. Yeah, that is the thing with it that he really does seem to to love her, and he's um, he's he does seem confused that the plan seems to be changing, and he doesn't know, he doesn't fully understand why the plan is suddenly changing. And I'm wondering, was is there something that triggers her beginning to to have this? Because I, I think I it's
0: just the sweater. Well, she's dreaming it's... about it. I mean, I think I maybe. But then that would give it away. I'll have to email you what I think is happening yeah. because okay. <laughs> I think it will give it away. But I think part of it was the pressure of having the baby.
2: It, well, it's interesting because – oh, no, I can't remember. I had a good point. I didn't write it down. There was something about – I thought that's what it was too, that it was like it must have just like been, okay, now – we're go- you're going to have a baby now. And suddenly, a, f- a few days later or something, or the next day, this this began to happen.
0: Right. But yeah, I, I think there was that, that do I really want to do this? And then I think it brought up some things that had she had buried.
2: Yes. I, 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 I should have written down. I had some interesting... I have a note here about the birth control pills, but I Almost don't know right. why I wrote it. Because he looks at her birth control pills and goes... Um,
0: you're still uh, taking them.
2: You're still taking them. And I thought... Um, uh oh, well, gosh, what what was the point? It's something about um that I don't know unless it had been many days. I don't know that I'd be able to look at a birth control pill thing and gauge right off the bat that mm, there are some missing or something well, like that. Well, the
0: fact that she even know? had them and there were probably just even a couple missing was to indicate that because they would be all gone mm-hmm. when by the time she stopped. I don't think you normally stop in the middle.
1: Yeah. When you're no, ready, you I...
0: just wait till the cycle happens, and then and mm-hmm. then you just stop. She was probably he could see that just a few were missing,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so she was probably in the process of yeah. still taking them.
2: When I've written things in the past that were sort of meant to be mysterious, like this, I know that you go in. It's almost like, and I, I hesitate to bring up slasher movies again, <laughs> but um, you know because we always seem to return to yeah. those sort of films. But um, it's almost like. A movie like, and I know you don't like this one all that much, but Final Exam. Final Exam spends the first hour of its movie trying, not always succeeding, but trying to give its characters life, lives. And give them, you know, kind of make it like these people existed before, you know, the movie started. These people, if they weren't all killed, would exist after this movie started. Right. And, but what you do is you, you create these characters, you give them this life. But in the end, you're really just going to kill them. And I'm wondering if sort of in this movie, it's like he Richard Matheson did all this stuff, put in all this stuff around the weirdness, knowing full well that in the end he was he just, he had this twist lined up. Well,
0: that's you know what? It's interesting that you say that because in my trivia, um, there is like a 30 second clip uh, you can watch. Um, I can't remember where I got it from with it where Richard Matheson talks about this movie. And, you know, he didn't write a lot of original screenplays for television. He usually adapted things, you know, and um, his own work, I guess. He was approached by a producer and they said, I think I can get you a lot of money if you write an original script. You just need a really good tagline. And so the movie was based off, I think, the title and the tagline. And Richard Matheson hated the title. So I'm guessing somebody else gave it to him.
2: Yeah, I and can't remember it. So yeah, I was.
0: Yeah. I was, so yeah, he I said it was laborious. That. Was the word he used? And um. Oh yes. I think he might have had the twist first because I think he was creating a tagline mm. to give to the producer to get the money. Yeah. And then they probably built a movie around it. So you're probably I, right.
2: I I would bet you cash money that it's it's like well not that much cash money maybe a couple bucks but um <laughs> I I I I would bet that he had this twist and he he put it into. This story now, not that that's a bad thing. I mean with with um the the fact that he does it so well. I mean he was one of the oh, best. Oh it's a great movie. That. So yeah, yeah. So but I, I would I would bet you that's that's what it is. He probably in his mind he I I would just think about it in my mind it would be like I would have had the opening sequence in my mind, and then like maybe the closing. And then it would have been yeah. a question of filling everything in between. And some of that stuff he filled in between was the stuff with the husband and wife arguing about having a baby and all that kind of thing which gave it a different feel but in the end the twist doesn't negate everything but the twist kind of um the twist leaves us hanging at the point where it's like we we got them within all the um the character development and all the um drama we're really there's the mystery and once the mystery is solved it ends yeah we need more
0: um, to resolve with the drama
2: yeah, we need a, we need the, no, the next 10 to 15 minutes, you Correct. know, just to But, you just know, sh-
0: they're like 74 minutes, dude. Let's get it done. And he had yeah. to
2: have it. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, yeah. I would say, like, overall, it's a really good movie. I just don't feel – it's like how I – it's not as bad as I feel about the first segment in, in Trilogy of Terror mm-hmm. because that one just makes me uncomfortable the more I think about yeah. it. This one doesn't necessarily make yeah. me uncomfortable. I just feel like there's things in it that are unrealized,
2: mm-hmm. that are
0: unfortunate. You know what I mean? But as yeah. a, overall, just a – and you know what TV movies were like? on a they're on a little factory, you know, conveyor yeah. belt. They make them and and sometimes they come out really well and sometimes yeah. they have think they leave you hanging. And this one just has, you know, they had to get it out there and do it and I'd say they did 95% amazing and 5% mm-hmm. well, I'd like to yeah. see this happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't really complain about it.
2: No, I yeah, I was uh like I said, the first time I watched it, I was eh, I th- I thought it was over long the first time I watched it. But then the second time I watched it, it kind of speeded by.
1: I really
0: liked it. It it gripped me from the beginning. But I I thought it was going somewhere else, too, based Mm -hmm. off the themes I talked about, the second wave feminism and everything. So I was kind of really paying attention to, like, the dialogue through that lens. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And it was kind of captivating me because I felt like it had a lot of subtext. And I really liked the way they shot it. Yeah. And so Gordon Hessler, who directed it, he yes he did kiss me. Phantom of the Park, but he he did a lot of really moody movies like Scream Pretty Peggy, Hitchhike, and um, Betrayal. I think Betrayal is the weakest of the ones I've just mentioned. But what's really interesting about Gordon Hessler is that he was really interested in shadows and things aren't what they seem, and he liked to he liked to fog people's vision. You know, like the audience, when they saw things, it wasn't quite what they were seeing. And I think that that, even though all these movies are probably written by different people, that sort of filmic theme runs pretty well through a lot of his movies. And now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like I have a blog post coming up because (laughs) um, I think I could get some really neat stills from some of his movies. They're not all completely atmospheric. I think he did that movie... Since George Kennedy just died, it might be a good one to bring up called Cry in the Wilderness, which is the one where oh, George did. Kennedy George Kennedy gets bit by the rabid skunk.
2: Oh wow. Okay.
0: And he chains himself up to the in the farm and uh, the barn. And uh the kid who played Bobby in Dead of Night, Lee Montgomery is his son. And Joanna Pettit is the wife from um Welcome to Arrow Beach. She goes for help. And so he's with the kid and he keeps trying to get the kid to unchain him because he's starting to go rabid. Mm -hmm. Gordon Hesler made that. And um, he
2: did. He did. There's no shadows in
0: that. (laughs) There's nothing, (laughs) you know, there's not. But in Hitchhike, which is with Cloris Leachman and Michael Brandon, that's a real moody movie. It's super. It's just as moody as this one, maybe even more so. And that is also about like identity and things. I'm not the person you think I am. And it's really creepy and weird and dreamy. And Scream Pretty Peggy also has it, although I think it's a lot more subtle because of the twist at the end. So there's definitely things that aren't what they seem, but you don't necessarily notice it until you've seen the film a couple times. Mm-hmm. And he likes to have a sort of obscured viewpoint of things, of the person. It's really interesting.
2: He made the extremely weird theatrical film uh, Scream and Scream Again. Yes. Which is very, very odd. very odd film he did
0: also get a movie called um girl on a swing which i I think is supposed to be really moody and weird too and you know uh that's his favorite movie
2: oh wow of
0: all the movies he made yeah so you know i told you that time i hung out with him right
2: oh yes yeah yeah
0: we had drinks and um and got to talk a lot and i don't remember much about the conversation now but uh he did say girl on a swing was his favorite of his Mm. movies
2: oh that's cool and
0: i think i think he made scream pretty peggy in like six days (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like it was ridiculous the amount of days they gave him to film that movie.
2: I, I you know, I'm looking on his Wikipedia page, and I don't see uh, when they have this filmography at the bottom. I don't, I don't, I see, uh, I don't see. Um, what do I see here? I see Betrayal, Kiss Me, a fan of the Park, Scream, Pretty Peggy. I do not see the Strange and Wonderful Adventures of Missus <laughs> Jane Oliver.
0: I don't know why. Uh, I, what about I that's not on it, there? IMDb? Is your place? He did well. We'll go into the. Should I just go into the trivia then?
2: Sure. Yeah. To discuss yeah.
0: anything else before? Yeah,
2: because I um I th- I think if we, if we don't want to ruin the ending, I th- I'm afraid if I chatter more, I'll I'll stumble upon. Yeah, it, I think I...
0: that's a. I think it's so hard because normally I don't care if we ruin the ending, <laughs> you know, because these movies are like forty years old. But I feel like there's something about this movie that's kind of worth discovering. It's,
2: it's nice, and there is, and and there is something about it too with the blonde wig. She wears a blonde wig in Trilogy of Terror, and there's yeah. sort of. They almost, because they're all Richard Matheson based, you can almost watch Trilogy of Terror in this one and kind of put them all together. Yeah. Big pile of strange.
0: Well, she's playing all uh, kinds of different characters.
2: Yeah. Because
0: she's two distinct characters in this as well. You yes. know, so it's yeah. it's really interesting. It's really interesting. So I'll just go ahead and tell everybody yes, to see yes. it. And I'll tell you that it aired on NBC on February 28th, 1977, which was a Monday. And then it reran on July 24th, 1977. It ran as part of a double feature with Bigfoot and the Mysterious Monsters which was originally The Mysterious Monsters, which was narrated by Peter Graves and was a theatrical film from 1974. Uh, so I love it. I yeah, love they, that one. It's so weird to build those two together. They don't necessarily go together, but it's kind, of, it's kind of a fun night of scary movies. It <laughs> ran against on ABC the second Battle of the Network Stars, but oh. uh, but it was actually at that time ch- uh, titled Challenge of the Network Challenge. Stars.
1: Challenge, yes. Which,
0: you know what? I have a TV guide ad for Challenge of the Network Stars, and I always thought it was a separate show. I didn't realize that it was the same show under a different title.
2: That's awesome. the one with um, uh, Cheryl Teagues, I think. Oh, is I, that don't one?
0: I don't know. I don't know. And she,
2: she, 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 she has like a, she's in the, the, like the relay race and she is incredibly fast. That's
0: Cheryl Teagues just said something really nasty about the plus size model on Sports Illustrated. So we don't, oh, no. we don't give Cheryl Teagues. Uh, oh, no. Was it her or I, I forget. Was I, she I on a TV forget.
2: show? I for uh no oh no I'm sorry Cheryl Teagues was in I'm gonna look it up while you're while you give more background because okay. I feel I don't want to get my Battle of the Network Stars trivia wrong and I don't remember
0: her as an actress I just remember her as a model but
2: I'll, um, I'll be right back
0: on CBS uh, they ran All Spare and something called the Andros Target which was a short-lived series about a crusading uh, reporter in New York. What's really interesting is on the CBS late night movie that aired that night was Hitchhike, which is also directed by Gordon Hessler. So they actually had kind of a Gordon Hessler double feature that night. And then I said that book was called The Monster Book. It calls Mrs. Oliver a feminist backlash curio, but they don't say much else about it. Uh, Producer Stanley Shepner enticed Matheson to write the TV movie, which we talked about, stating he could get him a lot of money for the script if he had had a good tagline. Um, Matheson did not like the title, but he felt the leads did a great job in the film. And Matheson um, also has an associate producer credit. Uh, Shevner also produced Sweet Sweet Rachel, which would be sort of the unofficial... I guess it's official, but it's the pilot to what would become The Sixth Sense, but they retooled it heavily for The Sixth Sense. And as I stated before, Gordon Hessler was a bit of an unsung hero in the world of TV movies. He may be best remembered uh, for his theatricals, such as The Oblong Box and The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, but his TV work was prolific. He actually made four TV movies in 1974 alone, uh, Skyway to Death, Hitchhike, Cry in the Wilderness, and Betrayal. And he also directed several episodic entries that year, including Night Stalker's Spanish Moss Murders. Oh. The score was by Morton Stevens, who wrote the theme to Hawaii Five-O, so you can blame him for that headache.
2: <laughs> oh, that 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 theme! I don't know that. Uh, I'm sorry that that for some reason that that theme she keeps hearing in her head throughout drives me off the wall. I don't know why. I'm sure I liked it because I, I. I'm sure you.
0: I made a point to write down the composer's name, so I must have enjoyed
2: it. I yeah. Well, as I was hearing, it, I thought, oh, I hope Amanda doesn't get mad when I tell her oh, this fine. is driving me crazy. It's fine. <laughs> And I, I just want to correct myself. Cheryl Teagues was on the fourth Battle of the Network Stars. And she does have a, a race scene where she um outraces someone. But I was thinking the second one is Jacqueline Smith. Oh, well, yeah. And she has a she's in like a, a foot race sequence where she like, poof, she bolts.
0: Well, she was a professional dancer, I think. And then, so that makes sense to me because she probably had her balance and, you know what I mean? The yeah, right and, physique for it.
2: That, that episode also had Linda Day George on it. Yay! Art, Art Hindle.
0: Oh yay! Uh,
2: Dan Haggerty. Wow, a lot of Mike Farrell, Kevin Dobson. Wow, there are a lot of. Oh,
0: a you lot hate of Kevin Dobson? We're not even talking. Richard talk- We're not <laughs> even talking about the Dobson on the show anymore. All right.
2: Uh, if I'm he done. pops up in one of the movies, it's going to be we're going to have to record our sections of the podcast separately. Yeah, we and don't edit them together.
0: We don't speak ill of Kevin Dobson ever. Uh oh. Okay.
2: I will never again. again.
0: So that's my trivia. Uh, Researching researching this movie was a little bit more difficult. It's not as well known and there's not as much uh, about it. And that's unfortunate because I think it's a really solid film. So it's too bad that it kind of, but you know what? All of our second features for the most part have been mostly forgotten.
1: Yes. Films.
0: And it's interesting because I love the first films we talk about on the shows, but I I tend to really love the second films like revenge uh, was oh, really yeah. good and Crawlspace. i mean they're just they're solid movies and they just kind of disappear into the ether and it kind of makes me sad
2: my mind just blanked out on the um the uh the pam dauber film
0: oh Why, um I through I naked eyes
2: <laughs> yes i love that one that was I a good love- one
0: i like that the more i watch that movie the more i like it it's it's taken yeah. me a few episodes to warm up to it, but um i mean a few watchings to warm up to it, but it's quite good so yeah. do you want to move on to feedback
2: yeah, let's let's head on to feedback. I think we're um, – yeah, folks, watch uh, The Strange Possession of Mrs. Oliver. Did I get it right? You did. The title? Yay! Hooray! Yay. Yeah. yeah, watch it and don't look up anything. Save the last 15 minutes you need to let the twists hit you.
0: Yeah, and just enjoy it.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: So this is the first time I think we've actually gotten feedback about the movies we're watching. Oh. So we got two pieces here. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read them. So we heard from our friend Shannon, who is on Twitter at uh, at Rusting Willpower, which is R-U-S-T-I-N-G-W-I-L-L-P-O-W-R. Um, she's a good friend of the show. Uh, she sent an email. We've been emailing each other back and forth a little bit. And um, she just threw this into the body of an email. So I told her I was going to use it for feedback she wrote i watched trilogy of terror the other night and really liked it i think that might be the movie that made me afraid of karen black i saw her in something when i was very, when i was really little and i just remember scary teeth so i've always assumed it was something with vampires i don't know anyway i've never been a fan before but i was actually really impressed with her I watched The Strange Possession of Mrs. Oliver, and the picture was really bad with hardly any color. I mean, George Hamilton de- didn't even have a tan. <laughs> I, got, I got a little bored in the middle, but then it picked back up, and I liked how it played out. The one thing that stuck with me, though, was at one point where Karen Black says, I'm 26 years old, not 40. Unless I misheard. In real life, she would have been around 37 if I'm doing my math right. And not too long ago, I was watching an episode of Emergency where Julie London's character was given as 30 when she was clearly well into her 40s. So was this a common theme? Yes, I think it was. And I remember, yeah. I'm a big fan of Emergency, and I also remember thinking that Julie London wasn't as young as um, <laughs> she said she was. But people smoked. Yeah, Life was hard. Mm. And we looked a little older. So. Yes. That's why we watched Halloween, and even though Jamie Lee Curtis looked 30, we were like, oh, she's a teenager. Yeah.
1: She you know, it.
0: Yeah. it doesn't necessarily stick out. Like, I know I heard that line, I'm 26, but I didn't yeah. really think much about it at the time. I just sort of took it for what it was. But it's interesting that it stood out to so many people about Yeah, I wrote it.
2: it down. Yeah, so.
0: And, you know, I'm kind of okay with that because. It It is what it is, you know, if the mm-hmm. character is interesting and the actor is good in the part, I don't necessarily care that they don't look that age or are that age,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, that's just a personal thing.
2: Yeah, I can I can roll with it, you know. I...
0: And so everybody should go. Oh, she also commented that she caught up with the world beyond after she heard her podcast and she really, really liked it. And I'm really glad she discovered it and watched it. And so thank you. And also she has a new album out called unspooling. And if you go to her Twitter, you'll see a link to her website and um, everybody should go check it out. She, it was really sweet. So uh, she made this album, she does these competitions where you make an album in a month, and she kind of waited till like the last week to really make <laughs> a new album, and uh, she had a lot of stuff happening and just could not get around to it, and she made it, and I, what I thought was so sweet about it was that uh, she wrote a little blog post for it, she thanked Dan and I for being mm. kind of cheerleaders for her, because I think she was kind of getting stuck maybe creatively and we were like you can do it shannon you can do it and she did it and it's a really good record i've listened to it like a thousand times already Mm. also she uh gave it a personal review she was really unhappy with it and she gave it two unspoolings with no knock and no knock is a reference to dan and i have another podcast called podcast mania Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and no knock is like an in joke from the first movie we reviewed messiah of evil and um i thought it was really cute uh that she mentioned that and she uh really likes podcast mania as well.
2: Yeah. So, and she, Oh, there, there was another uh, thing where, um, I, I thought that's what she was, uh, I thought she was referring to that. So I mentioned in a tweet to her, have you been listening to podcast mania? And she responded with, uh, no, what's that? And I yeah. said, Oh, I'm sorry. I thought, I thought you were, and she said, no, no, I've, I've been listening to it. I'm sorry. I was kidding. And then she said, um, at the end, she said, have you seen Merv lately? And the very first, Podcast Mania. I was on six point five, where we talked about the shot on video film spine. Uh-huh. Charlie, the host, began playing all sorts of Elf oh. sound clips, and one of them that I kept asking him to play was one where Alf says, "Have you seen Merv lately?" Oh, that's so funny! So that was cool. <laughs> that was cool. She has this, and that's like two and a half hours into the podcast where well, that she's starts. Yes, so that was very cool.
0: And also, uh, she—if you listen to the record lyrically—I know she uses made-for-TV movies—and I caught the phrase "bleeding skull." Oh, in I didn't there. hear that. Yeah, I can't remember what song it is, used it in there, but it, that stuck out to me too. So there's a lot of referencing in there. That's like me saying that we just completely influenced a record. I don't know that we did, but I, <laughs> I just hear things in it, and I'm like, I know Bleeding Skull is a reference to you, mm-hmm. and I'm sure Made for TV Movies is a reference to us. So that was really nice to hear, and it's really good. So everybody should go check yeah. it out. Also, Kristen, who's also on uh, Twitter um, at KikiWrites, she uh, left us a really, really nice uh, review of our of our podcast on her website, which is uh, KikiWritesAbout.com. That's K-I-K-I-WritesAbout.com. It was really sweet. And she also wrote about The Strange and Deadly Show, and she wrote about a third podcast. And I'm going to follow their lead. I was going to read her review, but they thought it was better to send you over there to read it yourself. And I think everybody should visit her blog. It's really yes. cool. And she's a writer as well. She sells her books. And um she's really talented. She's extremely witty. Um, if nothing else, follow her on Twitter because she's she's always funny and just a treat. Anyway, so she uh, also wrote about Trilogy of Terror on our Facebook page. And she wrote, I saw Trilogy of Terror as a kid. I just had to go back. Oh, I'm sorry. I just had to go look it up to see what the other two stories were because I couldn't remember them at all. That's the power of the Zuni doll. <laughs> Karen Black doing battle with the little bugger has been forever etched into my mind and is probably taking a valuable brain space that could have been used to learn harmonic functions back in high school. <laughs> I'm probably more likely to meet a Zuni doll than use anything I learned in pre-calculus class, though, so no regrets. Yay. So, um, anyway, go check her out again. It's, uh, she's at Kiki Writes on Twitter at Kiki Writes and check out her uh, website, which is kikiwritesabout.com and enjoy it. I think you'll have a good time. And thank you, Kristen. We really appreciate you taking the time thank to listen you. to us thank and you. to write to us. Um, so some, and so other stuff we got is just kind of random stuff I've collected off of our different social media. Um, and I'll just go through them quickly. So, uh, David, Assassino, uh, I hope I'm saying, pronouncing that right who I think also listens to Podcast Mania posted a commercial on. My, so I have a Facebook page for my blog it's just made for TV mayhem and he posted this really great uh, clip for uh, I guess KCOP in 1987 did a Good Girls Gone Bad week and some of the TV movies they showed were Sarah T and Midnight Offerings and he requested uh, that we talk about Midnight Offerings one night and I think that might be a really good double feature with the spell Oh yeah. So um, that's I'm going to put that on our plate since we're going to be, start coming up with new titles soon. Mm-hmm. This round is actually we're actually this is our first double-digit episode. We're at number ten. Oh
2: yeah! Hey, yay! We made
0: it. So we're getting, getting we would be at the end here, but we did so many special episodes that we still got like four or five left before we finish mm-hmm. this cycle, and then we'll come up with another double feature list. Um, Myron from Ancient Slumber, who can be found at I'm I don't know if I'm going to be able to say this. Right, so I'm just gonna spell it. It's M-A-S-C-H-E-M sixty seven. And his podcast, Ancient Slumber, is at Ancient Underscore Slumber. Uh, and they are currently covering the Hammer Dracula series. And they oh, yes. recently just posted their second part, but he posts a lot uh to us on Twitter about listening to the show. He got really caught up in the Mr. Hazelrig stuff, <laughs> which is hilarious. And he's really funny, and um he's really into retro TV. And I just wanted to tell everybody to follow him to check out his podcast. If you have, yeah. he's a, he's a lot of fun. And his mm-hmm. podcast partner Chris Ward is like a brain. Like his mind for trivia is ridiculous. So you'll probably get a lot listening to them. If, yeah.
2: if I may just say, I think on the latest Strange and Deadly show, um, the guys discussed Headless oh. Eyes, <laughs> and I believe I believe when they discuss Headless Eyes, they use Chris as one side of the review of of the opinion which is that it's garbage and i was on the other side which is yes. it's really quite good and they were sort of in the middle kind yeah there
0: was a funny clip though because they were like it's shit and then they just said that for like four minutes
2: yes yeah.
0: Shit. Yeah. but it was funny yeah they didn't what's really nice is that you didn't even write to strange and deadly but they were paying attention to your tweets about it mm. and they use that as sort of like the barometer for well do we hate it as much as chris hated it or do we like it as much as dan liked yes. it And so you guys became sort of the spectrum.
2: That was fun. I didn't expect that. Yeah, it was really
0: fun. And it was a good way, I think, to measure where everybody was in their Mm. like or hate of the movie. So they're really great. So check them out. Also, uh, another Strange and Deadly uh, listener that I've been talking to on Twitter, his name is Gore Blimey. He's at Double Agent 73. Uh,
2: Oh, great movie.
0: Yeah, he's listened uh, to some episodes. And actually today he tweeted out something I thought was really great. He wrote about our podcast – it was like having a flask of comforting hot soup with me, which oh. I thought was really nice because that's kind of how I feel about TV movies. Yeah, you know, exactly. they they are a source of comfort for me, and so that's really nice that they get that feeling listening to the show, which is, I guess, our goal. And uh, um, he actually, I found out it is, and I didn't write it down. He's bargain basement horror, which was BB horror at Twitter, oh, yeah. who's been follow frighting us. I didn't realize that they were the same person, so um, check him out there and also on his regular Twitter. I think I might have mentioned this in the last episode, but I can't remember, so forgive me. So Tristan Comer, um, who is at Songs for Life 24, uh, uh, also asked if we would consider doing Deadly Lessons on a podcast. And so I think uh-huh. we're going to have to do a slasher Definitely.
1: podcast. Yeah.
0: That's going to yeah. come up. So that's on our list, Tristan. Um, and thank you for listening. Annette Sell, who is at Bad Chop Suey. I think we all know where she got that. Yes. Came from Bastard. Yeah. She has been tweeting a little bit with me about the show. And, uh, one of the things she wrote that I, I thought was really sweet was she said, Your podcast has been inspiring me to seek out titles I haven't thought about in years, e.g., This House Possessed.
1: Oh yes.
0: And she's also been tweeting out iTunes links to our podcast too, as she oh. listens. So it's been she's been really great. Also, going back to Strange and Deadly, Chris from Strange and Deadly, um, he's been follow frighting us a bit. And he also said some nice things about us on the recent podcast. Uh he thanked us for our recommendations on the Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if he's checked any of those out yet, but uh I just wanted to say you're welcome and thank you for listening. And you can follow him at the Gore Boy. And you can follow his podcast, Strange and Deadly, at Strange Deadly. Um, Their newest episode is on iTunes, which is Headless Eyes and Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. They just released it. So by the time this podcast comes out, they'll actually have another episode pretty much ready to go. Uh, They're doing Death Weekend and Demented. Yes. Yeah. And I think they're recording it sometime next week, which will be this week when anybody hears this. So, um, So look for that. Also, oh, I forgot. So, uh, Strange and Deadly had kind of a hiatus between January and last week in March. And one of the hosts, his name's Tom Elliott, he has another podcast called The Twilight Zone Podcast. And he contacted me because he was looking for, um, a TV movie, uh, for, so there's this episode of The Twilight Zone called Dust. And it's actually, like, been made and remade, like, a gazillion different times, including A Town is Turned to Dust, which was a Playhouse 90 with William Shatner before it became Dust. And it was something else even before that Playhouse 90. And so he was trying to track down every version of it so he could do this epic Twilight Zone episode. And he needed um, some help finding A Town is Turned to Dust, the 1998 TV movie remake from the Sci-Fi Channel. So I was able to help him with that. And he did a review of it on his show. And then I did a review of it on my blog. If anybody wants to check that out, it's an amazing podcast. First of all, he has a beautiful speaking voice. So even if you don't watch the twilight zone, you should just listen to it because, uh, and it's totally different than strange and deadly, like the way he approaches it. It's really interesting. I think you'll be really interested in the amount of research he does for it. And um, he pulls a lot of stuff out of there and he plays clips and it's just a really great podcast. And uh, then check out my review of A Town Has Turned to Dust, which is over at madefortvmayhem.com. Oh, and then we already talked about Nate, so I'll skip that part. Yes. And then also Dan and I were part of the Film and TV Cafe Super Incredible TV Sidekicks Blogathon. Yes. I wrote about Bosley from Charlie's Angels, and Dan took on Bear from BJ and the Bear. Yes. And you can check out the full schedule at classicfilmtvcafe.com, where there's a lot of excellent entries. And as a matter of fact... Uh, it was very popular, so I think the Flaming Nose, which is another blog that does a lot of retro stuff, wrote about Ralph Mouth and they tweeted or sent the link to Don Donny Most, and he republished it on his Facebook page. Oh wow! Yeah, he was he was really happy with it, so that was kind of exciting. So go check that out; it's really fun. Dan's I haven't had a chance to comment because I haven't read Dan's full. I've just browsed it. It's crazy. It's on another planet. So everybody <laughs> needs to go read it. It's really fun. And there's a lot of really great entries. There's some really weird, like, not weird, fascinating, like Dennis Dugan, whose character now I can't remember, on Rockford Files. Richie
2: Brockleman. Yeah.
0: He was only in a couple episodes, but I remember him being in more because he seemed so...
2: He had a spin-off.
0: Yeah, but he seemed like such a component to Rockford to me. But you know what? Lance White was only in, like, two episodes, too, and, I, you know, the Tom Selleck character. And yeah. I remember him being in a lot of them, too. But they're, they're just such memorable characters. That was one, a one... Really, really great uh, blog post.
2: One of the one of the Brocklemans, I think, was like a two hour one or a two parter. So, so. Oh,
0: well, I'm not that, sure. Yeah, yes, yes. But I don't, I don't know that I saw the spinoff.
2: I I didn't. Oh, no, no. One of the uh, his appearances on Rockford was like a yeah, two hour episode. Yeah, that's right. I realized that after something. you said yeah.
0: that. But, yeah. I don't know that I saw the series, but I love Dennis Dugan, and I'm pretty sure that's where I discovered Dennis Dugan. Mm. Um, was on Rockford. And he yeah, was
2: Shadow Chasers.
0: Oh, that's right. Well, he's like your favorite actor.
2: <laughs> one of them. Uh, The other guy Shadow Chases. He's really
0: likable. I've always liked Dennis Dugan. And also, uh, you can read uh, more of Dan's stuff at some... Okay, well, the name of the blog, let me get this right. Some Polish... I wrote police. Some Polish American Guy Reviews Things, which is at polishamericanguyreviews.blogspot.com.
1: Yes. Yay. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, and I can be found at madefortvmayhem.com. Not that I update it as much as I want to. Once I graduate in August, I'll be able to spend more time there you can follow us and get in touch with us in a number of different ways you besides visiting our blogs and commenting on there we have a separate website for our podcast which is just the made for tv mayhem podcast which is at tvmayhempodcast.wordpress.com our facebook is made for tv mayhem show we are on twitter at tv podcast, and you can email us at tvmayhempodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And our next film, so we're sticking with the paying tribute to an actor, and we're going to carry it over, and we're going to talk about the single most classic television film of all time, Duel, which I'm really excited about because I don't think I've seen Duel in like 10 years. So um, I'm really excited to revisit it. And because we love Dennis Weaver, and because he made a wide variety of really interesting TV movies, our second film is going to be Cocaine, One Man Seduction. Woohoo! Now, both of these movies are available pretty readily. So if you want to watch along with us, I think Duel's on DVD. I actually just have the VHS of it, but um, I believe it's on DVD. And I think Dennis Weaver might have done commentary on the, one of the releases. That might be something to look at. And Cocaine, One Man Seduction is currently streaming on Amazon. If you have a Prime account, it's free. And uh, it's a great, great, crazy little movie. Yeah, it's a double feature. Yeah. It's heavy man. Yeah. So, um please join us for that and for now, we're just going to close out with the theme song to the Trilogy of Terror and we will talk to you next time.
2: Yes. Be good to yourselves everyone. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Good night. <laughs>